2: It's a sweltering hot day, and your skin bristles as sweat droplets cascade down your forehead. You listlessly pace underneath a tin sheet roof, a feeble attempt to cool yourself down. You think you heard somewhere that moving around instead of standing still creates some kind of cooling effect. You're a mechanic though, not an egghead scientist. Plus, it's the 90s. That theory hasn't been proven yet. And at the end of the day, you're really just a guinea pig desperate to try anything that might beat the heat. (laughs) Hey, come to think of it, it's probably the metal sheet roof, right? The heat is probably like trapped in the mechanic shed with you bouncing around from all the vehicle metal and ricocheting off of the enclosed tin roof. Yeah, that probably has something to do with it. <laughs>
1: the, I'm sorry, the, the conversation with yourself is so good. <laughs> but it's the 90s, I, I don't like know like that I'm exists there. yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this is a Sorry, I do not mean to break it up.
2: Maybe you should go stand outside instead of walking around inside what is ostensibly at this point an overheating sauna. All of these hypotheticals and scientific questions aren't helping, and now your brain feels like it's overheating. Really, it's pointless daydreaming anyway. In truth, you need to be inside regardless, because you're waiting for the supervisor to approve your work you had just been labouring over for the last 72 hours. A gruff voice breaks your, by this point, played out in a monologue. That's some damn fine work there, son. You're a testament to the Bureau. The immediate relief born naturally from earnest praise cools you off. Maintaining these government vehicles, a lot of which are hand-me-downs from the military, is extraordinarily difficult, especially when they break from the routine inspections and are issued as urgent maintenance checks before critical missions. You know, FBI raids and such. But you're capable. That's what you went to college for. Or trade school. Or mechanic school. Whatever school it is that makes the most sense here. The vehicle you've been working on, an M1A1 (laughs) Abrams tank, is a rarity though, to be sure. It's a first for you. It took you and your entire team and a correspondence team from the FBI all week to ensure that it's leaving in fighting condition. And hell, by all the mumblings in the break room, it sounds like it's going to need to be in fighting condition. Apparently, it's off the line and headed to a place called Waco in Texas, where a bunch of religious fanatics are holed up in some kind of compound while the FBI attempts to talk them out. Why the FBI would need a military tank to put a stop to them is beyond you, but apparently negotiations have been faltering for days now with several Bureau agents already dead in the initial raid. Clearly, the strategic excellence and negotiating abilities of the FBI is just beyond your comprehension. After all, you never went to negotiating school. You're just the best goddamn mechanic the FBI has ever seen. (laughs) Welcome to the Red Thread. (laughs) That, that was an adventure.
0: I had no idea how that would tie into Waco oh at any gosh. point in time. I felt like we had just gone on a side quest. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. uh, that was so good. Uh, bro, I, I knew exactly what the episode was about, and I had no idea where it was going. <laughs> that was so good.
2: <laughs> Neither did I, trust me. Welcome to the Red Thread, and this week, contrary to what the first few minutes may have led you to believe, we're not covering the intricacies of how the FBI maintains their military hardware. But we are instead taking a look at the Waco cult and the FBI siege that would elevate it to historic renown. A story of government overreach and an end of days apocalyptic cult stockpiling weapons are what you're getting in this episode. And thankfully, I brought with me the right people for the job. Uh, Isaiah and Charlie, how are you guys doing? Hey, feeling good. Happy to be here, brother. Uh, you Ready to learn about tanks?
1: Yep. 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 I can't. I'm yep. so excited we get to cover the tank episode. I'm ready. <laughs> No, I'm ready. I'm re- you're the
2: expert. You're the expert on this one.
1: I'm ready to get mad. I'm ready to be upset again. I can't I can't talk about what go without getting flustered. So here I am. I've got my coffee. I'm ready <laughs> yeah. to go.
2: Yeah. In the lead up to this episode recording, like in our know, Discord conversation, the only thing I ever heard from you is I'm mad.
1: <laughs> I'm getting mad. <laughs> Every time you're about me, it's like Vietnam flashbacks. Like da-da. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how just how mad you get because I'm familiar with the case, um, as I'm sure a lot of people are, but I guess I don't have as much anger inside me as you might. So I'm interested in seeing in seeing if I can get as mad as you. If you can convince me to be as mad as you, okay, yeah, that's um, a good challenge. But before before we go on, though, I just want to mention, as I do at the start of every episode, that we have a document for our, of our research and sources below in the description that you can peruse. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Music, as well as YouTube, so you can watch us wherever it is that is most convenient for you. We make it happen. We make it possible, so you can listen to us anywhere. And also, um, I've seen—I don't know if you guys have seen—but I've seen some really cool fan art floating around, and I really want to like put a place to shout that art out and show them off in like future episodes of future video versions of the episodes. So, if you send through any art, please use the hashtag, hashtag #RedThreadArt on Twitter, and that'll just make it easier for me to collect and put into the outro of future episodes with credits included. And finally, a big thank you to Current for sponsoring this episode of The Red Thread, and you'll hear more about them later on in the episode. All important links and information will be found in the description for you, so just go check it out. But that's enough for notes. Um, Yeah, Waco. Waco. any immediate thoughts boys it wasn't it wasn't a good it wasn't a good time in our history <laughs>
1: yeah the, you know I, what? I don't want
0: to get two too hot takes out there right away but Con- I mean, controversial good.
1: controversial but I think I'm going to uh agree with Charlie and say not good No, nope. <laughs> no mm-hmm. good negative bad mm-hmm. bad don't like I don't like it don't support
2: is it um, is it taught in, like, schools at all? Like, no. when you were guys were growing up, was no. it, like, a civics lesson N- at, all? at all about government all. overreach? No?
1: As, as a matter of fact, it is completely stepped over. Never mentioned. It's like, Bill Clint was president, and there is some controversial stuff. Anyway, that that's kind of like, at least when I was a kid, like, history class wasn't interested in anything in the last, like, 40 years. You know, it was always, yeah. like, you know, foundation, stuff like that maybe we got to jfk but that was like the the end of it That um, was
2: still developing news at that point yeah <laughs> <laughs> like we don't know for sure what happened with jfk for, for,
1: for, guys i'm not sure but i think this is going to be a big one all right so let's, <laughs> let's keep <laughs> yeah. our heads on
2: <laughs> is that that's always like a bit of a meme that like uh american high schools have like outdated textbooks and stuff like that stuff that's not continuously kept up to oh, date yeah. is yeah, that for sure. at all true yeah for sure well
0: but it's also like he mentioned focused on like older like history as opposed to newer history so for me the last thing like the most recent thing we covered was vietnam and like uh hey hey lbj how many kids did you kill today or whatever it was that whole series and that's where we left off is the
2: lbj president during vietnam
0: it was there was a lot going on during that time, but that whole uproar and that entire situation is where they left off the history for us. To, yeah, that's, yeah I mean, continue. Vietnam,
2: Vietnam was like the seven. Was it the seventies or the eighties? The seventies, right? It was the sixties. Oh, jeez, okay, sixties, yeah. sixty-four to sixty-eight. Um, well, in that case, like I, I don't know. That's fairly recent in terms of school education. I would feel uh, maybe not. That's like forty years ago. By the time you were going through high school, like school. So, yeah, okay, that is pretty outdated. Um, I wonder if they teach about it now, now that we're all out of school and have been for decades at this point. I, I would am- teach about it now. I would imagine they
0: teach 9-11. I really, mm. I have a, a strong yeah, suspicion
2: probably. that they, they're sure. up to there. Do you think it's like revisionist history, though, or is it pretty critical of America?
1: Uh, no nah i i I don't see how i I couldn't imagine the textbooks being like actually it's bad that we did you know stuff we did or whatever like it's probably just like Mm -hmm. these are the events that happened but of course like they're not going to bring up they're not even going to touch on stuff like waco because it's way too it's way too anti narrative or or just like off the wall for what a you know uh, history class is trying to do give you the timeline. They they don't want to step off into side plot, so to speak. That question, yeah, yeah. I guess Waco,
2: in the grand scheme of things, for those of you that don't know, Waco. To sum it up, um, to sum it up as best we can in this short synopsis here, Waco was like a a um, it was a place where a bunch of religious people, uh, Branch Davidians, a cult ostensibly, uh, kind of congregated and stockpiled weapons illegally. So the so the government says, and then they um, raided the compound and and tragedy ensued from that. So it's always pointed as, as to a situation where the government kind of overstepped their bounds um, and kind of enacted a tragedy that didn't necessarily need to happen. Um, so it doesn't look great for the government, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's. it's, I don't know why
0: you're asking us. I mean, that's entirely up to the the person listening. It's a very polarizing topic on whether or not what they did was justified or a complete overreach.
2: Yeah, and I guess we'll get into that right now.
1: Hold on one moment. I do want to make a quick apology. I was like, no, shut up. You're wrong about Vietnam not being in the 70s. Formerly, the war in Vietnam ended in 75. So you are still correct, Jackson, and I love you continue
2: <laughs> oh, i knew I, I thought i thought it was during the 70s as well definitely yeah um yeah. yeah i didn't know when it started though 60s definitely sounds more right though um so uh isaiah let's let's start to go over the the branch davidians itself <sighs> yes. and how they started victor hotev yeah Do you want to talk about him yeah,
1: absolutely absolutely uh so victor hotev uh was born on march the 2nd of eighteen eighty five in Reykovo, Bulgaria. Uh, He immigrated to America in 1907 and quickly established himself, building his own business. Joining the Seventh Day Adventist Church in 1919, he became deeply involved during a tumultuous period following the death of the church's founder, Ellen G. White. Uh, As a brief that oh you already I was about to talk about a brief thing about the Seventh Day Adventist Church but look at this my friend Jackson already has one typed up and I <laughs> doubted him who could believe that I needed
2: that for me I have no clue what the like Seventh Day Adventist Church is or like what it uh, encompasses what its belief structure is or anything like that what it's even an offshoot too, so I, I definitely needed this little note in our sources and document here.
1: Well, per, yes, I'll read it for everyone, because Jackson, like, it's so it's so cool that he just types out stuff that needs to be typed out, and he doesn't just talk off the cuff. I wish I could do that. Anyway, uh, the, se- <laughs> the Seventh-day Adventist Church, an Adventist Protestant Christian denomination, distinguishes itself through several key beliefs and practices, most notably its observance of Saturday as the Sabbath. This practice is rooted in a literal interpretation of the biblical creation account, emphasizing rest and worship on the seventh day as a sign of covenant with God. Central to their faith are the 28 fundamental beliefs, which articulate doctrines on God, humanity, salvation, the church, and in times, including the Trinity, the Bible as God's infallible word, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. The church's unique eschatological Right, sure. Uh, belief in the investigative <laughs> judgment starting in 1844, wherein Christ began a second phase of atonement in heaven, reviewing the lives of all people to determine their eligibility for salvation, set it apart from traditional Christian, Christian eschatology. So as I know several people who are Seventh-day Adventist, um, the, the main thing, like from the outside looking in that separates it is Saturday being their Sabbath. Um, that actually falls back on old Testament principles because in the old Testament, it was Saturday that like the seventh day was the Sabbath, but then after Christ died on the cross and all that, uh, the belief of the church was to give your first fruits to Christ. So instead of the last day of the week, it became the first day of the week. Um, so seventh day Venice kind of keep the, you know, the old, uh, belief. So is going. that
2: that much of a drastic difference to regular, well, let's say more traditional, um, you know. Uh, religion. Not really. Christian religion. Like, just, just to change the day of the I Sabbath. I mean, it, it, how... it
1: changes a little bit how you interpret some scripture, I guess, but not really. It just means they go to church on Saturday is all.
2: Yeah, instead of Sunday, right? Yeah, I mean, right. It doesn't seem too massive yeah. of a that that's that's
1: pretty much it as far as the actual practices that are different to my knowledge uh there is differences belief wise like there's yeah
2: the interpretation of the scripture i'm sure is different
1: exactly interpretations are different most seventh day adventist people i know are much more revelation or like end times focused than a lot of other protestant beliefs stuff like that um not in like a doomsday cult sort of way there's just more so an emphasis placed on it than say in like you know baptist or uh presbyterian or something like that um but yeah, just a branch of Christianity. It's got, you know, several million members. Uh, it's definitely not some weird offshoot, but the niche. guy we're going to talk about yeah, so, uh, certainly is a weird offshoot.
2: How popular is the Seventh-day Adventist church in comparison to other religions? Like, how niche is it? Is um, it up there as one of the more popular denominations?
1: Uh, I mean, it's definitely part of Christianity. I wouldn't say it's one of the more popular. I'd say the most popular are within Protestant belief are things like, you know, Baptist. Uh, maybe Lutheran Church of Christ, Lutheran, stuff like that, right? Seventh-day Adventist is more mm. niche, but like I said, there's still several million members to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a number to scoff at or anything like that. So, yeah, definitely not niche and definitely not to the level of, well, not, not on the same uh, kind of obscurity as what it would eventually splinter off into with the Branch Davidians here, which is what we'll go into eventually. Yep. But yeah, um, so over the next decade, Hotef, Victor Hotef, delved into intensive study of the Bible and White's writing. So again, LNG White was the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, unsatisfied with specific interpretations of the Book of Revelation, he authored a manuscript named The Shepherd's Rod,
1: which... And, and there the it begins. a phallic sounding name.
2: <laughs> inspired by the biblical account of Moses' rod in the Exodus narrative of Israel's liberation from Egypt. And in 1930, Hotef distributed 33 copies of his manuscript to other leaders of the church, seeking to like discuss it and, and maybe get some reflection and some other ideas uh, brought around in the old church with all his friends and stuff. Despite this this effort though, only two leaders really responded to it, <laughs> like uh, kind of giving cursory engagement, nothing like substantially meaningful, probably just like a, you know, a pity glance really. Um, and Hutef persistently sought dialogue though. He just continuously went on about his shepherd's rod, but his attempts were met with resistance and eventually in the face of this continued dismissal from the seventh day adventist church he was disfellowshipped from the from the church itself so he was uh he was cut off <laughs> he was uh, what's it called in fucking john wick excommunicado he was excommunicado <laughs> yeah yes.
1: you, you made the pop culture reference this time yeah, I yeah he's,
2: he's he's rubbing off on me which is <laughs>
1: an awful way of saying that sorry it's a great
0: example though they took his badge and his gun and said you've done a terrible job here get out
2: <laughs> yeah which, uh, did, really, it, that was the beginning of um, Victor Hutef's life from this point. They, they didn't really uh, punish him. They set him free, in my opinion, because he would then go on to establish the, ste- the Shepherds' Rod Seventh-day Adventists and settled in a location known as Mount Carmel, just outside Waco, Texas. Now, was it called Mount Carmel before they got there? No, no, he, they-
1: he names it that, because there's uh, Mount, Mount Carmel, Carmel is a location in the Old Testament- where the prophet Elijah performed yeah. miracles against the yeah uh, the prophets of like uh, Je- uh not Jezebel Ahab's uh, s- priests and stuff like that so he names it that it it wasn't called that when he got there also fun fun game for the audience uh, count how many steps we get removed from the seventh day Adventist because before by the time we ended up at Waco there's a lot uh, this guy's <laughs> yeah. already like... so right
2: now we're one step off we're yep. just the shepherd's rod kind of deviation from the seventh day Adventist. Do you, so, just very briefly, just to maybe give a little bit of background, what, what is the shepherd's rod and what does that actually mean in, in the sense of offshooting?
1: So, so uh, like, a good rule of thumb is anytime a religious leader says, hey, the religion's not good, uh, or like, this religion has problems with it, but mine's actually better, we should go live somewhere and talk about it, that's an immediate <laughs> out, like, that, that never ends well that's for a red anyone. Flag. That's definitely a red flag. Um. So anytime that happens, it's it's always a bad thing. Bad things come of it. Uh, like I said, with Hotef here, we're just on step one, uh, but already telling everyone to go move to this place in Texas so they can be more in tune about his new revelation regarding religion. It's also really funny to me how all these guys, assuming he, just, he wasn't just a con artist, which he might have been, uh, but it's also, f- it's always funny. That these people believe God is real, the Bible is real, stuff like that. And they're like, and now, for some reason, God has decided to give me, a random man in California, all of the knowledge and no one else. Yeah, Yeah. like he just switched up his playbook. That
0: happens all the time, even today. Like uh, Kenneth Copeland, he's like, well, God told me I need these private jets so I can be closer to him and relay his word. Stuff like that, Instead of in a tube with the devil's (laughs)
1: <laughs> with the unwashed yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's disgusting yep. makes me sad
2: although to be fair that it would be a lot cooler if it was called the shepherd's private plane Adventist <laughs> or something like
0: that oh man yeah the, the shepherd
2: 747 <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can get that going we can, look the, the culmination yeah. of this podcast i've decided is a new religion all right so we'll be brainstorming <laughs> names along the way yeah
2: but you're definitely right it's it's odd to see well it's not super odd but it's odd to see that these individuals uh are apparently so invested in religion like they've got this built up belief system from early on like he was religious from the get-go basically like when he immigrated to america um it's weird to see them have this kind of belief and then they take it in a narcissistic direction where uh it, it become self-centered around them and they kind of prophesize themselves as, as the savior. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, maybe, maybe he is just a scam artist, but I don't really see a lot here where he kind of scammed these individuals or scam people like sure people move to this place. But by all accounts it became a pretty large kind of hub, like there was an educational center, yeah. a school, a bank, agriculture. I mean, he may his
1: own hype to a degree. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But like what kind of what kind of cult compound has like a retirement
0: <laughs> retirement <laughs> homes and stuff like that? The well, best much, kind. <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of, a lot of them kind of try and form their own like society around there. Like we've seen that
2: before. We've seen we've seen maybe, this as, maybe like these kind of centralized societies and stuff like that, but yeah. this sounds more like he actually turned it into a thriving, bustling town from what I'm what I read anyway.
1: I mean like yeah, a, uh, relative to the number of people there. Yeah. I mean they had a lot going on. But also they were living under one guy who said God talks to him and no one else. So like how bustling could it be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah not, a, not a lot of things to be bustled. In that situation.
2: <laughs> so, anyway, despite ongoing rejection from mainstream Adventist leadership, the Davidian movement, it was now called the uh, the Davidian Seventh Day Adventist Church by this point, expanded under Hutef's guidance, and he continued his prolific literacy work. And by the mid 1950s, Mount Carmel was producing and distributing approximately fifty thousand pieces of literature each month. So that's fucking crazy. He was mm-hmm. he was on an outreach mission just constantly writing to,
1: to give you an idea like you, you you might get into this later on in the episode so apologies if i'm skipping ahead but the davidians like this level of removal from Seventh day Adventist church is still a religion to this day like so he definitely had some impact oh, Really? yeah yeah there's still people who identify as davidians not the branch davidians wow. that we're going to get to later but just davidians under like what Hotef believed
2: wow that's crazy okay yeah interesting I guess, I guess, like, we will get into it, but the Branch Davidians are so far removed from what this was initially kind of created as. All
1: right, kids, step one. (laughs) We're on, but move one. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And additionally, ministers launched a hunting campaign in 1953, canvassing neighborhoods across America and even internationally to spread their message. I've actually heard, I don't know if it was during the Victor Hutef era, but I have heard of uh branch davidians or davidians in general i guess uh even spreading their messages to australia which Mm. we might get into in the future but yeah that's kind of wild that it extended all the way across the pacific ocean to australia which at the time like this this was the 50s or whatever like pretty niche country if i don't mind myself saying (laughs) like (laughs) i can't believe that it actually extends across over here even um but Victor Hutef died February 5th, 1955, of heart failure, and the movement fragmented into several other fractures, each with their own interpretations of Hutef's teachings, creating hostility and variation in number among the splinter groups. And where do we go from there? Well, naturally, you go to Florence Hutef. <laughs> Continue.
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to say something more about Florence. So after, th- after this, we get to learn more about Florence, and she assumed leadership of the Davidians. She married Victor in 1937 and had very significant ties with the organization, with her parents contributing $10,000 towards the down payment of the Mount Caramel Center, which at the time is clearly a lot. She continued Victor's teachings and beliefs, but struggled to navigate the challenges of leadership. In a pivotal meeting with members, Florence announced that she had received a divine revelation proclaiming that on April 22, 1959, the prophecy would be fulfilled and Jesus Christ would return to earth. In anticipation, members sold their homes, businesses, and belongings, gathering for a meeting that commenced on April 18th with apro- approximately 900 attendees. However, when April 22nd passed without incident, mistrust spread amongst the members, causing division within the movement. Recognizing the rift, Florence relinquished her leadership role and sold Mount Carmel property of Benjamin Roden. So, correct me if I'm wrong here, Isaiah, but the Jesus returning to Earth, that's the end times, right? So, if he returns to Earth, that's rapture. Okay. Yes. That's why everyone, like, sold all their shit. And if you guys remember, I'm I'm sure you do, I I think, what was it, like, 2011, 2012, there was that radio pastor who was like, The rapture's coming! And, like, a hundred... Yeah, like a 200, whatever. How many people sold all their shit, got yep. an RV, and then like tried to get like a good view of the end of the world or some shit? And then the radio host was like, "Well, I guess it didn't happen." Weird. Yep. Yeah. Harold
1: <laughs> camping, and then after that, he tried it again. Yes. Came up with another date. Yeah, that guy was. Well, he uh, can't
2: be wrong twice. Yeah, yeah I mean I'm, he's, I'm ready de- to sell he's dead. He's dead now.
1: now. You know. Yeah, he can't oh. be wrong twice he's dead now what really killed he, me about that guy is all the people who sold their stuff because they believed him would go on interviews like I'm mad I feel scammed it's like buddy you you deserve it he didn't it like-
0: <laughs> no one ever said when Jesus comes back you have to like give up your
2: business you can just you can still have it when you get yeah.
0: raptured yeah
1: yeah <laughs> like-
2: what is selling everything gonna do? Like, you yeah. gonna drive out in the desert? Like, what? What? Why? I'm gonna
1: get raptured with a lot of money in my hand. Yeah, like
2: <laughs> I'm gonna be raptured, unemployed,
0: baby. That's how we do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Why can't Why can't Jesus Christ ever just visit us casually? Why does it have to be the end times, though? Like, why can't he, he just probably, come back he, and it not be raptured? He
0: probably wants to, but it's already been, like, established that if he does, yeah, he, we're all getting raptured. So, he's like, damn, I can't just come say <laughs> he To be, to be he fair. doesn't want to cause a scene. To be fair to yeah. him,
1: the last time he did it, we did kill him. So.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he might not be happy. Yeah. Is yeah. the
2: idea that he, this is exposing how religiously uneducated I am. Is he coming back with a vengeance? No. <laughs>
1: No, it's not like, it's not yeah, like a it's revenge opposite, plot. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's not, he's not like, I'll teach them. They want to put me on a cross. I'll show them what it-. no, no. I've been um, waiting thousands of years to get my revenge. No, no, no. no <laughs> I'm so, coming in hot.
2: Thousand year old grudge.
1: The whole idea is he came to earth as a man and then died on the cross to remove sin from us or like to give us the opportunity to remove sin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that now is the time of the church where we believe in him the the age of grace so to speak then at the end of that yeah. he comes to earth to take the christians back home with him to heaven is gotcha. the idea so so
2: this is so this is kind of like our forgiveness period like we're like trying to like uh you know worship him and well worship god and stuff like that in order to get in their good graces
1: oh well, pretty much uh, you have the opportunity to trust christ to be saved through the blood that was shed on the cross And if you believe in the blood, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then when you die, you return to what humanity was meant for originally, and that's companionship with God in heaven.
3: Basically, the idea is,
1: like, Adam and Eve were created to be companions with God, sin separated us from God, so then Jesus gave us a way back, and that's through the sacrifice of the cross, yeah.
2: Right. So he's like the deus ex machina of... Like the belief, man, you got
1: all of the pop culture references rolling (laughs) over Charlie today. (laughs) You're keeping it flowing
2: Well, he 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 is the he is the key to like um our salvation, though.
1: Yes, yeah. Jesus Jesus is the salvation. Like, because because sin poisoned us, it had to be something sinless that was sacrificed to take it away from us. And the only sinless thing in the world is God. So God was made flesh, went to the cross for us. So if we trust in Him. It's not us that's doing the saving; it's belief in him that does the saving, basically.
2: Understood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, yeah, Charlie, you're gonna need to step up the pop culture references. I can't take them all. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to fill in the empty space left by you, and it's just, it's crashing. <laughs> um, I'll work on it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast uh, Current. Don't you guys just agree with me and think that banks absolutely suck in this day and age? I have so many bad personal experiences with banks. Just stuff like unnecessary fees, which always just feels so frustrating when they come through. I hate them. And they cruise by, the banks cruise by on being established entities, basically, that are able to just cruise by because they were here first. They set up shop first. The best thing you can do, and the thing that I personally recommend, is stop banking with these old set-in-their-ways groups, and instead get current see that's a clever play on words you're getting current you're out with the old in with the new in with the current current is banking and credit building together they make it easy to get your money as soon as possible build credit safely and save more all in one easy to use app you can set up direct deposit get paid up to two days faster and you can also qualify for fee-free overdraft up to two hundred dollars that's a lot of money Also with that build credit, you can build credit safely using your own money so you don't pile on debt because spending on the build card is reported as a credit card transaction, which helps establish a credit history with a record of on-time payments. It really is an incredibly useful tool to building your credit safely. And it's like a highlight feature because really you don't go into debt because you're using your own money. It is a super safe way of building credit. And that's fantastic when all the other old banks wanna just fill you up with debt basically. This is a great way of building up that credit without going into debt. And the best part of Current, other than this awesome card, which feels very good to use, is that there's no annual or minimum balance fees. I highly recommend checking out Current and giving it a chance because really it is just a super effective way of saving money on banking and an effective way of building credit easily and just an incredibly satisfying way of avoiding all those minimum fees and stuff like that. And personally, I really do not like those established banks and how they seem to want to force you into debt at every corner. So this is brilliant for that. So get Current, The Future of Banking Now by going to current.com slash red thread or download the app. That's current.com, C-U-R-R-E-N-T dot com slash red thread. Terms apply. You can find the links in the description. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. For full terms and conditions, visit current.com or call 888-851-1172 for more information. Thank you to Current for supporting the show. And thank you to all of you in the audience for listening to the sponsor and supporting the show in that way. It really does mean a lot to all of us here on the show. And now back to Waco. So uh, we've just left Florence she's she's relinquished the role i oh i did want to say about florence do you think that she she was just desperate to get out of this situation that's why she set up the april 22nd it is very
1: it is very funny to be like you're questioning my leader oh oh i'm I'm getting a transmission hold on everyone
2: (laughs) (laughs) why does this keep happening they keep doing it and it keeps
1: working (laughs) because it it keeps working that's why like people yeah. people are it like works oh, to okay. this day. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. like it, it is still a
0: very effective strategy that works to this day if you say it was God talking to you telling you to do this. Yeah. Brother, yeah. there was a fucking crypto scammer who went on record a couple weeks ago where he said, <laughs> you know what? Yes, we did pocket $1.3 million of the three million you invested. But it's because God told us to do it. And there were so many people that forgave him for it. Well, it's like, well, if God well, if told God's you, you must have like, had a plan for what this. What
1: am I going to do? Fight God on it? Clearly, you're not. You're yeah, in man. good faith right now. Yeah. like, yeah. That's yeah. such
2: an epic excuse. But that's not what I meant. I meant the setting Setting the actual date. Like, all it sets oh. you up
1: for is immediate like
2: immediate um, failure. Obviously, yep. when it doesn't happen, immediate failure and immediate mistrust in you. Like, it feels like her setting this date was her being like, I just want to get out of here. I just I, I, need a way out, kind of. Yeah. Because she immediately, like pretty much after that, uh, everyone mistrusted her and thought she was just a liar. And yeah. so uh, the rift happened and she right. relinquished her All leadership right. role. So,
1: everyone, Florence, step two. We're now two degrees removed from the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep.
2: Yep. And now we go to Benjamin Rodin.
1: This Benjamin Rodin is uh, the person who the Mount Caramel property was sold to after everyone quit trusting Florence when you know she was wrong about the rapture and all. So Benjamin Roden was born on January the 5th of 1902 in Bearden, Oklahoma. In 1940, Benjamin and his wife Lois were baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. However, by 1946, Benjamin had transitioned from the Seventh day Adventist church to the teachings of the Shepherd's Rod with the Davidian Seventh day Adventist church. So basically, he was a normal Seventh day Adventist and then decided to come join the Davidians. Followed them over, yeah. yeah. In 1953, Benjamin and his family briefly resided at Mount Carmel when he developed his unique interpretation of Scripture. While maintaining belief in the second coming of Jesus Christ, Benjamin's interpretation of the Scripture allowed for greater flexibility which he believed was revealed to him by God through a prophetic gift, providing insight into God's plan for the movement. So now we have, like, keep in mind, we have one guy who says he's getting a transmission that makes everything else fake. And you need to come live with him. And then a guy that's already there is like, I am also receiving one of those. <laughs> that this is even more fake. So we need. to... <laughs> yeah. Everyone's getting these transmissions, goddammit. Yeah, they got these antenna wired out of their heads. They're getting beacons and everything. It's crazy. Charlie, yeah. now would be a great time to make a reference to some tower head, satellite dish person. Got anything?
3: Mm. You Got anything? <sighs>
0: not you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to give me some, some <laughs> time to, to let it ruminate
1: a bit man charlie you're off your game today my guy you gotta... yeah, what's happening? Well, there's,
0: there's not a whole lot of pop this is just like in space jam when michael jordan stretched himself <laughs> yeah! Like,
1: yeah there you can. go Woo! there you go awesome my man there he is He's, well, wait 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 what so about
2: mad? this is just like the time the moon communicated with us through transmission in moonfall there we go that's pretty good Okay, the moon... No, Jesus, you've never even seen the moon. <laughs> no, indeed, the, the inside of the moon communicating oh, with Oh, us. you're
0: talking about the very... You're spoiling the movie. <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> That's a reference, though. Come on.
1: Are you telling me yeah, people are going to come here to learn one. about the Branch Davidians and get moonfall spoiled for them? Guys, we are professional podcasters. <laughs> yeah, nothing is sacred. We can't let this happen. <laughs> Keep it together. Really, that- that
2: is an enormous selling point. I've just sold that movie to a million people, or however many people are watching this. They're going to go watch it now to hear the, the moon's message. I hope.
1: <laughs> anyway, as Benjamin spread his message, he garnered followers who began identifying themselves as Branch Davidians, a development that clashed with Florence Hotef, with whom Benjamin had strained relations. Upon Florence's assumption of leadership following Victor's death, Benjamin and his followers departed from the movement. Following the disappointment of Florence's failed prophecy, Benjamin acquired Mount Carmel, now expanded to 77 acres for the Branch Davidians. A the central theme of Benjamin's teachings was the significance of the restored state of Israel, viewed as a preparatory sign for Christ's return to earth. Benjamin traveled to Israel and hmm. established a small community of followers there before his passing in 1978. So...
2: So he took, yeah, he took the sign that like Israel had now become a state over in the Middle yes. East as kind of like a sign that Christ was coming so, back. This was this was the time. I've,
1: I've heard a lot of people use this logic. Obviously, it didn't happen, uh, but I've heard a lot of people use this logic. So in the Book of Revelations, there's a point that says after Israel, after the children of God, the children of Israel are rejoined or whatever. In the generations to come, I will return. You know, the rapture will happen. Whatever. Uh, so some people have taken that as literally a generation so like 70 years. So if Israel was mm-hmm. established in 1948, then therefore the raptures somewhere around the like 2010 uh, area right or 2018 area right somewhere in there. So yeah a lot of people have used that to kind of say the rapture is gonna happen like right after the year 2000 or somewhere in that region uh and it seems like our boy Benjamin here was one of those who, so, yeah. saw the reestablishment and of Israel onto and, and then lashed to that. So basically he Benjamin decides he doesn't like the Davidians. So he makes a new group out of converts called the branch Davidians. Right. So yeah. then Hotef dies. His wife can't control it. She makes a false doomsday property needs to sell the place. So then the branch Davidians come and buy the compound from the Davidians. So now the branch Davidians yeah. are at the place where the Davidians started
2: yeah, there's like some inner conflict there between the the two splintering off groups and now um the branch Davidians are sweeping back through to claim claim the land and all of that kind of stuff and take over. So it's kind of like an internal coup almost. yeah, yeah, we're,
1: also to keep track for the scoreboard, we are now three degrees removed from- <laughs> 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 They've started a new religion twice <laughs> so far, Keep in mind
2: <laughs> and it's not the most stable religion. let's put it that way. yeah, after. After Benjamin died, Louis Roden, or Lois Roden, uh, his wife, assumed shared leadership of the Branch of Davidians alongside Benjamin, so she, they were both co-owners, uh, until his passing. And then following Benjamin's death, Lois became the sole president, directing her teachings and beliefs toward a feminine, or the feminine, aspect of the Holy Spirit. This emphasis resonated with the growing female movement of the 1970s, so that was like a PR win, I guess, yeah. for... For the oh, this will get them. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> what the kids <laughs> are missing. yeah. <laughs>
2: and then in alignment with her focus, Lois began publishing a journal titled uh, she- Shekina. Am getting Shekina, right? she- if I Shekina? guess. Shekina? Okay. Uh, exploring women's roles roles in religion. So she was just pretty uh, progressive. Is that the right word? Progressive? Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: comparatively, sure.
2: Yeah, comparatively. However, her leadership faced challenges when she encountered Vernon Howell.
1: da <laughs>
2: Yeah, fucking dramatic music, intimidating music needs to kick in there. A man 25 years her junior who arrived at Mount Carmel in 1981. Uh, Howell, later known as David Koresh, reportedly seduced Lois and claimed to have impregnated her, alleging that God had chosen him as the father of a chosen one. Uh, Lois sadly miscarried, prompting Howell, or David Koresh, as we'll come to know him, to assert that it was divine punishment for mismanaging the church's finances. And then following Lois's death on November 10th, 1986, from natural causes, at least, uh, I assume, like, allegedly.
0: Yeah,
1: she, she she died of natural causes, yeah.
2: She was, she was pretty old, I, yeah.
0: yeah. I don't think Look at there that was picture. a lot
1: of
2: foul play there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I,
2: yeah, but they could
1: be. There's there's about to be, in the next section, there's about to be a, a lot of not-natural deaths happening. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. this gets yeah, exactly. this go. It, Charlie, if you don't know the background to the Branch of Idiots, this goes from, like, 0 to 10 really quick. <laughs> so. yeah.
0: yeah, I only know how it all ends. I don't oh, really boy. know I can't <laughs> the wait. journey there, so I'm interested.
1: Sick. Okay, so... yeah. Sorry, Jackson, I didn't mean to cut you off. You can finish out that paragraph. No, it's all
2: good. Uh, so, following Lois' death on November 10th, 1986, from Natural Causes, her son, George Roden, who I believe is from her previous marriage, yes. um, vied for leadership of the Branch Davidians. Mm. But however, Lois had aligned her beliefs with Vernon Howell, otherwise known as David Koresh, uh, David Koresh leading to internal disputes with, within the movement. So she had kind of like, it was meant to go to George Roden. And it, and it will go to George Roden, but her beliefs had kind of been tied yeah, to this, so new, this new figure, David Koresh. The
1: politics within Mount Carmel were really weird during this time. Because you have, okay, so the Ranch Davidians who were there are all loyal to uh, Benjamin Roden. Cool. He dies, wife takes over. That's fine. Then the wife starts to change her ideas. Something. Something else to mention is that subtly vernon howell kind of changed some of the ways things were done around the church kind of like i I remember there's stuff about like he added more music to sermons uh lois would say that she can't give sermons so sometimes vernon would just do the sermon for her like this vernon guy is assuming more and more of a leadership role and during this whole time her son george Roden hates this guy because he feels like vernon's trying to take over the assembly or whatever so when she dies, a lot to of
2: take what is rightfully his, exactly, apparently. like what he believes is rightfully
1: his. So when he dies, or when she dies, when Lois Roden dies, you now have this weird split where she said her son should have it, but everyone's been listening to Vernon preach for years. So who were they more in allegiance with, right? And that's where and high jinks ensue. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah,
2: it's definitely set up for, like, some kind of house of cards kind of political yeah, drama yeah, yeah. <laughs> internally. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah, we- so George Roden, we've got a little bio here about him as well, because this is where it starts getting crazy, as you just said.
1: All right, so, after his mother's death in 1983, George Roden assumed leadership of the Branch Davidians. However, tensions flared at Mount Carmel between George and Vernon Ooh. Howell. What? Did she die yeah. in 86
0: or 83?
1: Oh, you're right. There's a the script. Oh, Hold on, let me. Yeah. That's probably just a typo. I can do a quick check. Hold on. I'm gonna
2: assume it's 1986.
3: Uh, We've got to get these
0: 86. these dates watertight. All right. Yeah, there you Jackson, go. don't make 66. that
2: mistake again. <laughs> My bad, boys.
1: Jackson, we're My docking bad. your pay for that. Anyway, so Jackson. <laughs> no. <laughs> How
2: am I meant to afford my erasers now? Yeah,
1: we're docking your pay in this three-way equal partnership. Charlie and I have started a union, and (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah. So sorry, sorry to hear, Ben. Anyway, have fun. I won't have
0: inaccuracies
1: in here, Jackson. After it is, it is I, I do appreciate one of my favorite things as someone who's like watched Charlie's content for a long time is a lot of it's laid back. But in this show, he's like locked in. <laughs> he's like, we got we to get this Fact right. Checker. Yep. Yep. I like it. I like I it.
2: Fucking he's Snopes over here. <laughs> Dr. Snopes. It makes me feel special. <laughs>
1: Charlie's what I'm trying to say. Anyway. All right. So after his mother's death in 1986, George Rodin assumed leadership of the Branch Davidians. However, tensions flared at Mount Carmel between George and Vernon Howell, exacerbated by Lois's permission for Howell to teach his own doctrines, resulting in Howell garnering a small following. Okay, I want to say I'm sorry, Jackson, for saying everything that you were about to say at the next no, paragraph. No, I would pr- honestly
2: prefer it to come across naturally, so that's fine. <laughs> say, say whatever you want. We can just cut stuff out as well. Gotcha, so gotcha.
1: George sought to quash Howell's teachings entirely but Hal allegedly continued to teach clandestinely. That's a God, good that's word. That's such a cool word. Such that is cool such word. a good I word. Love that Me word. and you at the same time, we're like, wow, that's a cool word. Uh. <laughs> I fucking love using
2: that word. It's so <laughs> it's so over the top for what we're describing as well. Yeah. Like, it was no, like it's perfect. MI6 it's perfect. or something.
1: Like, for for example, the, Charlie and I started a union is a clandestine operation of this yeah, podcast. So you, oh, yeah. That just yeah. slowed. fueling a power struggle between the two men eventually george forcibly expelled howell and his followers from mount carmel at gunpoint prompting them to relocate to palestine texas
2: hey i have a question like is that significant and all like that it's called palestine like was that a place Uh, before a palestine's
1: a fairly like maybe not large but well-known city like decent population so it's probably just I'm, i'm sure it's just coincidence okay um, George subsequently renamed Mount Carmel to Rodenville, which also just, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as the cult leader names the the city after them, get out. <laughs> that yeah, has never sounds ended well. like an amusement well.
0: park, that's hype.
1: Rodenville. So <laughs> Charlie would be there, like, let's hear him out. That sounds kind of cool. Wait a Maybe minute, I like
0: what this. he's
2: cooking up there, guys.
1: <laughs>
2: as long as he puts in a roller coaster, Charlie's happy. That's, that's yeah.
1: fine. Tra- Charlie sitting in the back of sermons with like the little spinning wheel hat, like yeah. a lollipop in his hand.
3: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> he renamed Mount Carmel to Rodenville, and for a period, the two groups resided in separate areas of the town. However, in 1987. Issues arose regarding unpaid back taxes on the Mount Carmel slash Rodenville property, totaling over (sighs) $62,000 dating back to 1968. That's a lot of money. That is a whole lot of money, especially for back then. County officials threatened to seize the property and auction it off, leading George to take legal action. During the proceedings, he made inflammatory remarks (laughs) to the justices, including a veiled threat invoking biblical plagues, stating, quote, Maybe God will make it up to you in the end and send you herpes and AIDS, the seven last plagues. <laughs> An interesting
0: interpretation of how that goes.
1: <laughs> yep.
3: Yep. <laughs>
1: I lo- I love his picture, by the way. Every time I see it, it's such a good
3: the yeah. cowboy
1: hat with the flag. Oh my gosh! Very patriotic <clears throat> man. Uh. In response to a deed filed by Vernon Howell that out, ousted George Roden as president of the Branch Davidian Seventh day Adventism and named himself, Roden allegedly took drastic action. He reportedly. Exhumed the body of former Branch Davidian Anna Hughes from the center cemetery and challenged Vernon to a macabre contest. Whoever could raise a soul from the dead would be deemed the true leader. (laughs) What a psychopath. I know could you imagine like you're like you're having a legal dispute with someone and they're like you know what see this see this body I bet you can't bring it back I bet you can't like, but
2: wait, why is he bluffing he can't like surely he knows he can't bring it back no either,
0: right? I, he's, he's very clearly mentally unwell I bet he thinks he can by like <laughs> probably doing some kind of like tai chi maneuvers over her body and fucking putting the soul back in it I thought you were going to say
2: like you fucking weekend at Bernie's <laughs> like he's got a whole strip, like puppeteering contraption center up to
0: trick yeah. everyone,
2: <laughs> ventriloquist sit—that'd
0: be huge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> however, <Yeah>. instead, of, <laughs> this, is, this is such a funny phrase. It's however, instead of engaging in this challenge, Vernon reported the incident to the police. <laughs> <He's George laughs> like Vernon. he was there. Yeah, he was there, and he's just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just like drives down the road, I'm not touching that. I'm not dealing with this guy. I'm going immediately we're gonna, to the We're comps. gonna go
2: on to find out that David Koresh or or um what was his other name, Vernon Howell. Uh, Vernon Howell, point uh, like not a, a very bad person as well and very mentally unstable as well. And even he was like, "Holy shit, this guy's fucked up. I gotta go to the police about this." <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's how bad called, it was. I, I'm
1: out. <laughs> yeah, the. The authorities, citing the need for concrete proof, declined to take immediate action based solely on Vernon's word. I guess
2: guess it is possible because it's very clear that David Koresh or Vernon Howell was trying to take over, take as much power as they could. It's entirely possible that uh, a lot of this is made up by Vernon Howell slash David Koresh as a means to undermine him. But we also have other like first hand accounts like the, the quote with the, with the uh, justices about the AIDS and the herpes. So, I think that
1: apparently like he was so crude that judges remarked like uh, it was the most despicable like case they've ever dealt with that like killers aren't as mean as this guy was from the stance like everyone hated this guy. So it's not out of the realm of reason. to do something insane.
2: Yeah, I believe it.
1: Yeah. Also, just to keep up, this is now four degrees removed if we're on (laughs) if we're on our main man uh, over here. Undeterred, Vernon and seven followers secretly infiltrated Mount Carmel on November 3rd, 1987 in an attempt to photograph Anna Hughes' casket. Their mission, however, ended in a shootout with Roden, resulting in the arrest of the eight men. Subsequently, they were acquitted and charges were dropped. Meanwhile, George Roden found himself in legal trouble as well. He was sentenced to six months in prison... <laughs> for contempt of court stemming from threatening language he used during the tax battle. So this guy goes to jail for words. <laughs> That's yeah, how just, annoying he was. saying
2: <laughs> that you'll get AIDS or whatever, the seven lost plagues yeah. will visit your household. But, so, but with the Vernon, the David Koresh plan to sneak in and uh, photograph Anna Hughes' casket, I don't really get what, they were intending to do that. It was
0: for the concrete proof that they had exhumed the body and that this guy is a, a danger.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. I was like, I was, but I was like, how do how do they prove that he was trying to like bring Anna Hughes back to fr- back from the dead? I thought it was like a necromancy kind of case where they're trying to prove that he was trying to bring her back. But yeah, I guess if it I am assuming exhuming a body is illegal as well, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's already a crime in and of itself. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Is, uh, th- <laughs> there is, <laughs> is necromancy
2: more- a crime? <laughs> is that like is that codified?
0: That, that's probably there- in the book somewhere. <laughs> you can't try and perform necromancy. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, it's the- be. There is one more detail I want to mention there. So in 1989, uh, shortly after this whole contempt of court thing, all that happened. Um, when he got out, uh, Roden still maintained some leadership for a time. He actually goes back to jail when he's declared insane and all that uh, for killing a man. So oh, he killed a man. In October of 1989, uh he killed someone named Waymendale Adair. Uh basically, th- to tell you like the level of insanity Roden had built up, Adair came to Roden. I believe it was at the trailer Roden was living in, or maybe his house. And he tells Roden that he's having visions from God. And Roden is convinced that this is one of David Koresh's people that has been planted because he's so paranoid about Vernon doing something, that he takes an axe and kills him. Right there. Holy shit. Jesus Uh,
2: fucking Christ.
1: Yeah, just axe-murdered someone. So he goes to jail for that, and then the part about the the escape and death and all that. So Vernon had got in his head so much that he just killed a guy who he thought maybe might be related to Vernon.
2: Yeah, that that is crazy. Um, It's very obvious then why he was eventually declared insane in 1989 and sentenced to uh, treatment, I guess, at Big Spring State Hospital. But almost a decade later in 1998, he managed to escape from the hospital, hospital and he was later found deceased on the north side of the hospital grounds. With indications suggesting he had succumbed to a heart attack, so he escaped and then died from a heart attack on the escape. No, I guess that
0: sounds like the work of Vernon Howell yet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. It we was, can assume
2: no, it was the it was the ghost of Anna Hughes that got revenge. <laughs> she, she popped up <laughs> out of nowhere and gave him a heart attack
1: i also but, wanted to be appreciated that like there was a period of time before vernon got kicked out where they both lived in mount carmel with their own groups and they were like having what can only be described as like prank wars with each other like maybe like Roden would be like oh sorry you all can't use that room today we're painting it and you know vernon's like well where do we go and Roden's like i don't know you just can't be here so then in response vernon would like throw his a shirt away of his or whatever and then mm. the event that got him kicked out is a fire started in like on like right. road inside of the building I think from a microwave uh or not a microwave like a like a a stove top or whatever and then yeah. as soon as correct as soon as Vernon Hal found out he's like huh maybe God did that maybe <laughs> maybe God wants your oven on fire who knows <laughs> To be fair, so like in my that. opinion,
2: in my opinion, David Koresh started this all by fucking his mom. That's
0: a That's good yeah. way to start a fight. That's with a the
1: compelling man, yeah. argument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there was maybe
2: some resentment there from like, yo, this dude, this dude's banging my mom. <laughs> I don't like this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah. he's the reason that Rodin's insane. Maybe Roden was right. Maybe that guy who he killed was sent by <laughs> Vernon dude. To, no, to, yeah, to mess no, with seriously, them.
2: imagine imagine being, I guess, George Rodin in this situation and, and having this kind of cult or this religion that you were you felt like you were destined to eventually take over because it was your birthright or whatever. And then some super hot, well attractive, charismatic individual shows up, pipes your mum down, and then takes over your cult. I'm sure there was a lot, a lot of deep-rooted resentment there from yeah. the very beginning. That would lead anyone to axe murder. You're right.
1: <laughs> well, no, yeah. no I, didn't, I yeah. didn't say that. Clearly, no. He I, didn't th- say th- I think Jackson's saying what we're all thinking. It's okay to axe murder some people <laughs> if they, you know, they lead into it. And Jackson's very brave for saying that. I think.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Uh,
1: yeah, you're well. yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Let's dive right. into
0: David Koresh now. I'll take this it's one. It's time. Yeah, go it's for time. it. So he was born Vernon Howell on august seventeenth, nineteen fifty nine, in Houston, Texas. His mother was only fifteen when she had him. He never knew his father, was raised by his grandparents. He had a lonely childhood. He wasn't great at school and was dyslexic. But besides this, he had great musical ability and interest in the Bible. By twelve years <laughs> that was, old
1: that was a really mean sentence, Jackson. <laughs> I don't like him. I'm just, not a fan. You just you just ganging up on this kid. <laughs>
3: I have sorry, sorry,
1: sorry, sorry, Charlie, go ahead.
0: By 12 years old, he had memorized large chunks of it, and David Koresh turned to the Seventh-day Adventist church when he was 20. At 18, he made just enough money working in construction to put a down payment on a Silverado, which he kept filled with rock tapes. During this time, he would practice playing guitar for hours and was idolized by a lot of younger guys around him in the community. He wanted to be respected by them. Debbie Owens, his 16-year-old girlfriend at the time, is quoted saying, he was a typical teenager, a rocker who carried his guitar wherever he went. As, man, so <laughs> George probably just thought this guy was so fucking cool and yeah, he was having sex it. with
3: his
2: mom. Yeah, <laughs> like, he shows up in his fucking pickup truck, blasting music, comes
1: in, bags his mom and leaves. <laughs> like, come on. Yo, I'm going to start preaching here. Is that cool, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's my church now. I'm
2: going to take over. Everyone fucking idolizes him and shit. Like, come on. As he returned to
0: religion, Koresh at first seemed to express guilt over his past, his sexual activity, and playing rock and roll. Similar to past moments in his life, he started to gain attention of younger members in the church and would engross them in conversation. During this time, Koresh saw revelation seminars conducted by evangelist Jim Gilley. Koresh was convinced that Gilly had a piece of the puzzle missing, the seventh seal. As described in the book of Revelation, the seventh deal binds a scroll <laughs> held in God's right hand that prophesizes the calamities that precede the apocalypse. He was convinced it was time to have a new prophet and a new light in the seventh-day Adventist church, and he, could, and he could be just that. With the church disinterested in his ideas, Koresh then made a move to the branch Davidians. He began to mm-hmm. claim the gift of prophecy and started so to teach he, his own message yeah. called the serpent's roots. Sorry, yeah, go on. Which gained a small following in the group. Jackson was there. You, you <laughs> no, interrupted you. Go me, on. Honestly. I'm sorry. Go on. Say continue. So you stopped me to just remind me to continue.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Discord, Discord, cut out there. I was. I you, there was silence. So I started talking, and then you cut in, and then I said continue. Interesting.
0: Very interesting. <laughs> it also caused immediate contention. David, who had been li- who had been having an affair with Lois Roden, the leader at the time who was in her late sixties, when Lois died, there was a power struggle between her son George and David. after George Roden had forced David and his followers out of Mount Carmel by gunpoint, they returned late they returned in late nineteen eighty seven They carried assault rifles, high caliber rifles, shotguns, and nearly four hundred rounds of ammunition and During the following fight, George Roden was shot in the chest. <laughs> David Koresh went on trial for attempted murder at that. I don't know I mean that's just it made me giggle that George Roden caught, <laughs> caught a fucking mean one he, he ate some lead.
3: it wasn't like <laughs> it
2: wasn't like he was in his home doing like in his room doing homework or anything like that he was in the fight he was like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like a, <laughs> so it's not like an unlucky just an unlucky moment for George like this was a.
1: After everything you know, that's been established, it's funny that David has sex with his mom, plays rock music, then shoots, shoots him, him in the <laughs> chest. Yeah. Yeah,
2: George just- cannot catch
0: a W at all. <laughs> so when he was on trial for the attempted murder, it ended in a mistrial. Oh and then God. Koresh became the leader of the branch Davidians in the late 1980s.
2: It gets even worse for George. Like this guy shoots you in the chest, it goes to court, and they're like, nah,
1: he's fine. Oh, he shoots you in the chest on your property. And he just walks out. Oh, it's another funny detail about that. Apparently, Koresh was so... Or Howell at the time. He hadn't changed his name yet. Vernon Howell was so friendly with, like, the court that after the trial, he had members of the jury over for an ice cream party.
0: Nice. <laughs> uh, that mistrial is sounding real real yeah. normal. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, no. Like,
2: a, what do you call it? Like, a, uh, yeah, a mistrial. Like what, what well,
1: the trial's over, it... so... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the trail's it, over. It, 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 yeah, there's a word for it. You're not supposed to mess with it, whatever it is. But, but it's, it's over. So no? well, let's tampering. have ice cream. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Is it tampering? I don't know. Well, it's a it conflict of interest for the uh, for the jury.
0: Yeah, surely. yeah. But yeah.
1: but but they already decided he's a good guy. He's okay. <laughs> we can let him go. Yeah. Well, it's well, easy well, to hate know- George,
0: but this guy plays rock and roll.
2: Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't know if they're like he promised the ice cream party in advance if if they like that's true what he oh, oh we never thought of it that way i know you don't know for sure it was rigged
1: from the start yeah so, I, I,
2: I feel like it did just end up in a mistrial because they just decided that david koresh was just so much cooler than george yeah. and george was a fucking like he was coming in random so did we so did we like to be that.
3: fair
1: yeah,
2: yeah yeah i'm on I'm on. I'm. I'm fine with how it's progressing currently. Continue.
0: So after uh, Roden was sentenced to prison, being declared mentally insane in 1989, Koresh legally changed his name from Vernon Howell to David Koresh, and now we get into the explanation for this new branch Davidians that have formed. So it's a belief oh system that stems from the mainstream Seventh Day Adventism, but the specific beliefs and practices diverge significantly. Prophetic leadership and visions. The Branch Davidians believed they were led by individuals who experienced prophetic visions and direct revelations from God. For example, David Koresh claimed to be the final prophet and the Lamb of God. The apocalyptic emphasis. Both groups have a strong focus on the end times, but the Branch Davidians took this to an extreme, with a particular emphasis on preparing for an imminent apocalyptic confrontation between God's chosen people and the forces of evil. Kresh's teachings included detailed interpretations of the Book of Revelations, claiming that he and his followers played a central role in the end times. This level of, specific, this level of specificity and the centra, and, cent, wow, and the centrality <laughs> of the armed conflict in their eschatology are not found in mainstream Seventh-day Adventism. Theological Interpretations The Branch Davidians held unique interpretations of the Bible, particularly the prophetic books. Koresh taught that he was entitled to take multiple wives to bear children who would be important (laughs) to the end times and practice an interpretation not supported or recognized by the Seventh-day Adventist church. That seems to be super common in cults where, hey, God told me I get to fuck a lot and have a lot of kids, so don't well, know I mean, what to tell th- you.
1: Th- just, just picture David Koresh playing the guitar up there like with this new cult. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, I, I get to sleep with your wives. Like, <laughs> <up back laughs> <the to. guitar. laughs>
2: yeah, he it's like a fucking pinch harmonic. <laughs> 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 what if he just completely fucking sucked at guitar as well? Like, it was the most awful was, dog shit ever. That, I bet no, there's videos terrible. of it.
1: There's videos of it, of him performing oh, at like bars and stuff like that. He's actually pretty good to
0: be fair. Mm. Son of a bitch. God are uh, <laughs> so
2: cool.
1: I can't keep getting away
0: with this. The final thing that was very different was the isolation and community life. So while Seventh-day Adventists are encouraged to engage with and evangelize to the broader community, the Branch Davidians under Koresh became increasingly isolated, forming a tight-knit community that lived apart from society. The isolation was partly due to their belief in the imminent end of the world and needed to prepare without outside interference.
2: Yeah, so... There was like just a more cult, cult uh, centric version of Seventh Day Adventism, really.
1: Now, now one thing I will mention is, well, they also had beliefs that were very different from Seventh Day Adventism. Of course, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's not like Seventh Day Adventists are like, I gotta have, I guess, sleep with all your wives, right? Like, <laughs> like it's it's a, there's differences. Uh, that seventh Day Adventists don't believe in like con- uh, continuous revelations and visions and stuff like that. Um, but what is interesting about Koresh is like all the members of the community would have jobs. The kids would attend or, or like, I'm uh, sorry, older students would attend like, uh, local st- schools and stuff like that. Like they could leave also, uh, one of the things they did to raise money is they would go to gun shows and sell guns mm-hmm. a lot. And they would also go perform at like local bars and stuff like that, which it's weird for a hyper religious cult to go to bars and play like rock music of the time, like it's very strange, but that—that's what they would do a lot for money or fun. They would drink beer, stuff like that. Like a lot of stuff you wouldn't think they would do. Crash uh, was like, "No, it's chill. Who cares?" Yeah, yeah. It's less yeah. of a
0: religious cult and more of a sexual one, it seems. Yeah, or yeah. a charismatic
2: yeah. leader just taking over and giving whatever, or offloading whatever beliefs he has for his own. Like, uh, it's kind of like what's what's it called? Like Charles, kind of like Charles Manson, a little bit. Um, a bit terms yeah of-
1: yeah that's that's a pretty good thing like they're obviously their objectives were different uh mm. but it's similar and it's a cult of personality more than anything else
2: yeah i will definitely at this point like like you said this is like six branches deep at this point six offshoots yeah. so it started it started as a religious sect and it slowly over time uh just became a cult of personality that's my that's my analysis of the situation anyway and then we continue yeah. on, Charlie, with David Koresh using the Bible in a very interesting way.
0: Yeah, so David Koresh used the Bible to justify a romantic relationship with a 14-year-old girl, a daughter of one of the church members, and insisted that the girl was given to him by God and in a biblical sense was already his wife. Koresh legally only had one wife named Rachel Jones, and they married when she was 14 with her parents' consent. They had two children, Cyrus and Star and Rachel rarely argued against her husband and let Koresh do what he wanted without hassle. According to lawyer Jack Zimmerman, who spoke with Koresh during the siege, she was polite, pleasant, and very quiet. Koresh is said to have fathered 16 children with multiple women. And then in an interview with A Current Affair, he said, I failed school, I quit in ninth grade because I had other things I had to do. I had to learn things, I'm a student, you see. I learned about people, that's what I do. I learn about people, I learn about myself.
2: yeah um it's interesting that he said i failed school i quit in ninth grade because i had other things i had to do and then the interviewer says like what and he just says i had to learn some things (laughs) i'm a student you see (laughs) you just just said you you quit school (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) it it seems like he was grasping at straws there if you have to ask me i just love that quote i I think that's a very funny quote (laughs) anyway um so after that let's let's talk about life in mount carmel under koresh because this is kind of where the whole the whole thrust of the story is really so if you would like to take this one wendigoon
1: absolutely so when david koresh returned to mount carmel after george Roden had been removed he found it a mess in the small frame homes that george had been renting to outsiders to assist in paying overdue property taxes a large amount of pornography was found and destroyed they also had lab equipment which appeared to be used to make meth. David called the authorities to come and remove the illegal equipment. (laughs) So George
2: was was looking at porno and cooking up meth in these little shacks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if, like... I've I've wondered that about the meth thing, too. If that was George, or if, like, the place was just kind of abandoned and he let whoever wanted... Because at the time he left, like, he had a few followers. Like, he was really at his end. So... Maybe it's True. funnier to think it was George, <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know. Could have just been abandoned too, um, yeah. like a place for, you know, high school kids to go hang out, get high or whatever. Yeah. Make meth. Yeah. Make meth, you know, like you do.
2: David and his followers began clearing up and renovating. They tore down the 18 frame houses and built a massive 43,000 square foot facility. And I'm going to show this picture of it on screen right now. It is. It's a pretty, like, modern-looking facility. It's a big re- building. Really. Like, Very at the time, building, yeah. it's, like, in, it's in the middle of a fucking field of, like, debris, like a war zone. And then it's just, like, this really nice complex. The building yeah. itself was L-shaped and included a kitchen, chapel, gymnasium, pool, and even a water tower. And although it didn't have indoor plumbing or running water, except for the kitchen sink, most rooms also didn't have electricity. They had to use chamber pots in their bedrooms and kerosene lamps for light and had a few space heaters and fans. To help keep them warm or cool in summer and winter. So that's like super interesting that it's like this really nice looking complex and then it's just got no power, running water, or anything like that. It's just it's just uh I guess they spent all their money just building this, maybe, as a really nice attraction. Yeah. It's got a it's got a nice looking pool as well. Former followers <laughs> have said that Koresh didn't allow women to wear makeup or jewelry jewel jewelry jewelry. Jesus. <laughs> long blouses had to be worn. He also chose where followers would sleep and what food they could and couldn't eat. Things like dairy processed flour and sugar were not allowed. David Koresh organized movie nights and occasionally took young women to the local pub for casual gatherings. He and the other members formed a band and performed <laughs> rock music at various local bars. The Branch Davidians maintained an open door policy, welcoming locals to attend teachings or socialize at Mount Carmel. Uh, additionally, many members held jobs within the community, actively pers- participating in local activities and events. So it's kind of just like a cool place to come hang out, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, that was kind of the idea. Like, you make it appealing to just anyone to come check out. Uh, hence the pool, hence the music, stuff like that. Um, kind of like
2: a youth center in a way. Like, it looks like it would... It <laughs> there, would just... were,
1: there were a lot of people who later, after everything went down, said that they would go just like hang out there in the evenings and stuff, uh, and then just go back home. Like they would, it was just a place to stay.
3: Yeah. In
0: 1992, child protective services started to investigate allegations of child abuse at the compound. It was alleged that children as young as six months old were disciplined with spanking using a wooden spoon. Later adults admitted to spanking their children, but denied it ever reached a severe level where the children were seriously harmed. After a nine week investigation of the compound, including interviewing children and adults, The Child Protective Services closed their case, unable to attain enough evidence to support the abuse claims. Joanne Vega was a member of the Branch Davidians when she was a child, and she said that she remembers being hit regularly while living at the compound. As a kid, being disciplined was a 24-7 thing. After the CPS investigation, the local community opinion started to turn on the Branch Davidians. And in an interview with the Australian television series A Current Affair... Reporter, a reporter asked Koresh if the rumors of sleeping with multiple women at the compound and underage girls were true. He denied the accusation. Former followers say he admitted to having intercourse with Michelle Jones, the younger sister of his wife Rachel, when Michelle was 12. Yeah. Koresh had claimed that he had received instructions from God to do so, and also claimed that all the women at the compound were his and all marriages besides his were un- or annulled. After this, all men other than David Koresh were forbidden to engage in sexual activity. Many followers believed that Koresh carried God's seed and believed that not every woman was worthy of Koresh's loin. He had his so-called House of David, which was Koresh's own personal harem. Inclusion in the House of David was made out to be a privilege. New members of the House of David would receive a gold-plated Star of David to wear around their necks, and (laughs) girls were groomed from a young age in preparation for this.
2: I mean, so, okay, uh... terrible person <laughs> mm-hmm. like obviously a, a very sick individual um, a monster even um i thought i thought you'd get more excitement out of uh, a current affair being brought up again oh our, I, I
0: i thought it was great to see them here but it's not exactly like yeah a current
2: affair it's one of those things we'll <laughs>
0: this is an evil guy i'm not gonna
2: really get super excited about the the silly broadcast your fist about a current affair, but look, look at them. You like, I remember when you go through your current affair stage, which for th- those of you that don't know, it's an investigative, uh, series over in Australia, kind of like, kind of cringe, honestly, to Australians. Cause it's, it's mostly just fluff pieces, but sometimes they go out of their way to track down these individuals. Like they flew all the way over to Texas from Australia to investigate, um, David Koresh before the siege and stuff like that. And had a one-on-one interview where all this information was divulged. So, Which is crazy for them, because they really only handle, like, local nothing
0: burgers. Like, I, when I was watching A Current Affair, like, one of the stories was about a snail that one of the employees accused the manager of releasing <laughs> yes. in the shop, and they're like, this is just unacceptable behavior. Why would you release a snail? And they do a whole story on that yeah, kind of shit. Yeah, like,
2: tracking down, they had a snail expert on to look at the snail slime left behind to make sure that it was the correct spot. Sl-
0: like so, e- so it's
1: either that or the Branch well, Davidians. So yeah. Like- yeah. <laughs> No, a lot of it <laughs> yeah, is like, they go
0: from like this local nothing garbage to like yeah. interviewing a fucking evil
2: monster. Most of like ninety percent of the stuff on a current affair is just like like I said, fluff pieces or advertisements. Like they did a whole segment on how Vegemite was like changing their um changing their recipe or whatever. And it was it was just like thirty minutes of saying Vegemites taste so good, you should buy it. They've now come in yeah. cans where your name is on it and stuff like that. It was just an advertisement. They do a lot of stuff like that. But I mean, sometimes they (laughs) go out of the way to fly all the way to America to track down just an awful person. So good for the good on them for this one, honestly. So then moving forward from that,
0: guns played a significant role in the life at Mount Carmel, including or according to firearms dealer Henry McMahon, David Koresh had a keen interest in firearms, enjoying the process of disassembling, cleaning and reassembling them as a tactile pleasure. Koresh Koresh primarily acquired guns as investments for resale rather than personal use. And the branch of the Vidians became regular attendees at gun shows. This is what you mentioned earlier, Isaiah, where they yeah. sold a lot of firearms and related gear, including AK Russian AK47s, Israeli Uzis, gas masks, ammo vests, and hunting jackets. B- basically, they were just selling this massive fucking arsenal, and yeah. that's seemingly where like they made most of their money. Member Paul Fata held a federal firearms license, which he utilized to attend the gun shows and generate revenue for them, all conducted legally.
2: It was like kind of like a gun-making gun little hustle in, in the compound. Mm-hmm. Many men at the compound engagement building registering and selling the rifles as a hobby, so that's where they made most of their money. Right, Isaiah? That's how I... That's opinion.
1: where they made a lot of it, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was also just a hobby. All the men enjoyed firearms, it seems, from what we know. Uh, they used to have like police officers and local people from the area come out to have range days, like shoot all their cool imports and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. i will say so the the both of those last paragraphs had a couple of important points the mention like uh, obviously david koresh is a monster we all agree with that but what happened after this is a bunch of members who became displeased with koresh one i forget his name who uh said that he tried to take leadership of uh the branch davidians and left he went out to say that every member of the um of the community was engaging in child abuse in the same way Koresh was. Yeah. that's um, coming up. okay. Got uh, All right. Good point. I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you didn't uh, have to say that, that
0: Jackson. He was he was, he was, he was educating us. You
1: shut him down. <laughs> uh, that basically like while <laughs> David Koresh is an evil man, uh, It kind of got rolled into this idea, well, everyone in there is evil, which shaped a lot of the ideas of the media going forward in the case. Uh, Also, the very important note that everything that was done with the firearms was done legally should be mentioned because that is not what the ATF said. Uh, But we're about to get into that.
2: Yeah, I mean, he is is a monster, but it's hard to know to the scale that he, like most of these actions or whatever, extend to the group itself.
1: I I will say this. Uh, I watched a lot of interview when I made my video about it. I watched a lot of interviews with Koresh. I watched, I read a lot of testimonial stuff like that. I do think that there was some level of mental illness involved. Uh, like I do oh, think, yeah. to a degree, he thought he was telling the truth. Not entirely. Obviously, I think he used it for a lot of evil actions and stuff. But I don't think it was something like Jim Jones, where he's like, I can abuse and get whatever I want out of this. I think he was insane. And I think a lot of people went along with that. Um, but basically, the the idea that be put forward eventually when this gets where it gets is every adult in that building needs to be killed. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. It's I, I guess it's hard to know though, because like there has to be some level of awareness. It is hard. If, it is hard to know. It, yeah. Within the group itself if David Koresh has like a harem called the House of David and stuff like that. And uh, according to the twelve to- year old Okay, for, just for an example though, the twelve like the twelve year old bride that had to be co signed by her parents and stuff like that. There had to be some level of awareness.
1: According to like I think his name was David Thibodeau, if I remember right. Thibodeau said that uh, or like, and several other members who came out of the Branch Davidians said that he, like, yes, he would sleep with a lot of the wives, but they were never underage. And then other members said they were underage. So there's a lot of he said, he said, she said, with all of that. uh Regardless, the one we know to be true without a doubt is the 14 year old girl he took as his bride. That was done legally because her dad signed off on it for some reason, right? Or like, uh, signed off on them going together. He did. He did some loophole to make it legal. I remember. Um but like, it's it, it, so that alone qualifies him as a monster, right? The question yeah. is, how much did people around know about it? Because by the time he comes to the branch of Indians and becomes their leader, that 14 year old girl's grown up, right? You know, um, so it's like, oh, well, maybe then, but not now. So like a bunch of the members claim ignorance to that stuff. Others say it happened. Who knows? But Basically, the the, the only thing I mean to say is that like every adult in there probably wasn't evil. Uh, even though Koresh was, uh, and I wonder how much of that evil was insanity. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I still don't know. I guess it's a it's a very it. hard
2: thing to prove one way or the other at this point. I think, um, especially with how this whole situation ended, we're not able to talk to a lot of these individuals now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it is hard to kind of you know prove how evil individuals were. All we can really say for sure at this point is David Koresh is a very evil yeah he's a, or he's a monster, sick individual. Yep yeah they should have
1: shot that guy been done with it (laughs) easy easy clean all good yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um all right i can take the next section if you'd like because we're getting into (laughs) my favorite people in the world the atf yep all right so the atf and mount carmel old members of the branch davidians who had departed the organization who were possibly upset and resentful towards koresh began to tell media and the police that there were serious child abuse situations happening at mount carmel the allegations were incredibly troubling and disturbing and included the proving claims that David had a 14 year old wife and extended to claims that multiple group members were abusing children as young as eight years old. An example of this is an individual by the name of Mark Brolt. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I keep saying stuff right before Jackson has it typed up. All we good. can just All skip right. over
2: it. We've already talked about it. You can skip over it. It's fun.
1: All right. Yeah. He was a self-proclaimed prophet. We get the vibe, right? He claimed uh, that, he claimed Koresh did things like adultery, child abuse, and gun stockpiling. So let's get a brief little conversation as to what the ATF is for those at home who are innocent. The Bureau like of Alcohol, Tobacco... Aw, that's so cute. Okay. The, <laughs> the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, um, or full, full name the BATFE, is a crucial fe- federal law enforcement agency within the United States Department of Justice. Tasked with regulating and enforcing laws pertaining to alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives, and arson, the ATF play a pivotal role in combating violent crime and protecting the public. In truth, its responsibilities extend beyond mere law enforcement, encompassing regulatory duties to ensure compliance with federal statutes regarding the manufacturing, sale, and possession of firearms and explosives. During the Waco Siege in 1993, the Bureau was led by Director Stephen E. Higgins. Higgins served as the director from 1983 until his retirement in 1993. At the time, the ATF was battling a PR nightmare after a horrific Ruby Ridge incident where the ATF raid resulted in the death of a mother and son. This is likely why the ATF was so eager to try to get a quick and easy victory against what they perceived as a child-molesting cult leader. Uh, That was my read on
2: the situation anyway, I'm not sure about you.
1: I I I'll make the addendum that I personally uh don't like the ATF and I'm not just saying that to someone who's like oh the government's evil or whatever like the ATF was established in response to like crime waves in the 1930s um and it was put together to kind of combat everything that there were being new taxes being placed around so like alco- moonshine for bootleggers stuff like that firearm short-barreled stuff all that Uh, So what they do in practice is they're more of a regulatory tax service because all the stuff the ATF regulates, you can get around if you pay the right taxes. They're more so just checking that you have all the boxes ticked in the right place. And they are hyper aggressive on issues like obviously, as we're going to talk about, but they continue to this day. If they hear word that you may not be paying like the tax on something or dotting your eyes in the right place, they'll just do a raid. They'll just kick down a door, you know, get it going. They're very, a bunch of people like disagree with the way they do stuff. Not only that, but a lot of the times they will make jurisdiction calls when they're not supposed to. Like, if there's some ruling around, like, does this fire, is this firearm legal or not? It won't go through legal channels. The ATF will just make an internal decision and it's that's the law now. At their discretion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's
2: what, that's what is usually meant by their, their common proponent of like government overreach, right? They're just kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it's at their discretion what
1: they choose and to no one, do. And no no one can really challenge it because the way the government sees it it's like oh it's the ATF's job to figure that out. So however yeah. strict they want to make something that's as strict as it's going to be. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah I I've, I've I've had a lot of really annoying experiences with them. I worked at a gun shop for a few years and they're just that I've 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 actually I'll take that back. There was one lady, one ATF agent lady who was very kind. Other than that, they all hated me for like just existing I just I, I, I like I said just bad interactions not a fan okay uh, yeah. yeah so anyway uh sorry that was unnecessary but <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I'm getting mad I'm getting mad I'm getting I'm getting riled up yeah <laughs> uh in May of 1992 a UPS driver reported delivering big shipments of weapons to Mount Carmel and a package apparently fell open and he saw grenades and black powder inside ATF investigators concluded that the group was amassing an arsenal and making illegal weapons. I also want to clarify, as mentioned earlier by Jackson's writing, um, we know that the uh, the Branch Davidians were selling things like fake grenades at gun shows, right? That's a common thing you'll see at a gun show, too. They drill out the bottom of the grenade so it can't be used, and you use them as like a prop or whatever, right? I've got one in my closet ah. that I just use as a joke. You know, I'll walk in a room throw a grenade on the floor or whatever um like what a prank yeah yeah. it's a a real (laughs) (laughs) so for like two seconds it's pretty it's pretty funny for me um so (laughs) but like that's just a common thing right there is no way i promise you that people who actually get hand grenades there is no way they are ordering them through ups (laughs) (laughs) like you are not getting real explosives delivered through the mail you get them through other channels so what really happened? is there was black powder in a crate used for, you know, g- gun. I've heard black powder slash gunpowder, depending on who tells the report. If it's black powder, they couldn't even use that for like modern rifle reloading. It'd have to be for like muskets or whatever, right? <laughs> the, like, so it's, it's black powder for like old muskets or whatever, and then fake grenades for gun shows. So some UPS drivers like, yeah, these guys are building bombs. I found it. I found the stuff in my truck. Uh, and the ATF, who should know better and do know better, are like, "Oh well, this seems like a problem. Let's make it into one." Um,
2: well, what if what if they were what if they were using revolutionary style weaponry to like take on the government?
3: That oh, would be They get their blunderbuss out, and David is yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a,
2: a line of soldiers at the top of the fort. <laughs> like they've, <it's,
1: laughs> they've got right, a Reload for boy. twenty minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I, I do want to clarify before I like because uh, i'm going to get aggressive about the atf for this i just Ooh. i just can feel it coming i want to clarify You're that because it sounds like i'm just on their side and i think the branch davidians do nothing wrong i want to clarify david crush was an evil evil person i think he should have been shot i there's no i have no remorse for you know hurting people like that they need it yeah um the issue is, David Kro- Koresh was an insane cult leader, and the ATF is a tax funded government agency who's supposed to keep us safe. I'm not like mad over a cult leader being a bad guy. I'm mad over the people who are paid to protect us being bad guys because mm-hmm. um, they're bad. supposed to be better. So, that's when, when I get up, more upset about the ATF than Koresh, it's not because I think Koresh deserves any remorse. We, I, I would have killed that guy. I'm just saying that I think the ATF deserves more scrutiny than a cold. Yeah, one, I'm not
2: right? like you. Like you said, I think that was a, a pretty good point. How they're paid by us to keep more. Well, I'm not a. I'm not American, first of all. So I've got theoretically. No skin in the game. Yeah. No, you you pay them. Okay, sweet. Uh Just just for fun. No, technically I do right because anyway, well, kind of. Yeah. Regardless, um, uh, they're paid to keep us safe. I'm not fully convinced that. Storming the compound and killing a whole bunch of uh, children, women, yeah, and stuff like yeah. like cult the cult members per se was done in our best interest or for our safety. Like like I I say totally fine. Totally fine with David Koresh
1: dying. Like, Absolutely, yeah. That is no that question. is
2: in our best interests, realistically, and mm-hmm. for the public safety, one hundred percent. Totally fine with that. I just think they overextended to kind of an insane degree that's their methods of feelings
1: their methods of going about a problem that they sure made much bigger than it actually was but a problem that needed to be addressed their methods of going about it were far beyond the justification for what happened right because like we'll, we'll talk about later as we get into the details yeah, but so yeah that
0: you, the, let's we can start getting there like we we've got the catalyst for what it was like they they now have this Compelling evidence that they might be making bombs and fucking muskets out the wazoo or something. So the ATF's got like reasonable suspicion on them. And the ATF suspected they weren't paying their taxes, which was illegal. So they then put them in their crosshair basically. So Koresh yeah, was aware that the much. ATF was investigating them, offered them to come and go through their paperwork. ATF declines. They then rent out one of the houses on the side of the road of the, uh, like near Mount Carmel uh, undercover. Like, they pretend to be college students. And one of the agents, Robert Rodriguez, took part in Branch Davidian Sermons. And Koresh was aware that Rodriguez was undercover, but decided to let him continue what he was doing for whatever fucking reason. And he wrote a findings report stating he had seen weapon parts that could indicate they were making illegal weapons. So that was used alongside a noise complaint from a neighbor to obtain a search warrant and then listed in their report... That they had seen that there was like child abuse and the possibility that the branch civilians were making drugs. And even though CPS had already investigated those claims and that the lab had been found on the property was taken away, they still claimed that they needed to raid Mount Carmel since David Koresh never came out of the property, which was untrue, as Koresh often left the compound to work, eat, and play with his band. The ATF yep. received that warrant that they were looking for, and they were, uh, yeah, they received that warrant. That they were legally required to have. And then carried it out on February 28th of 1993. So that gives us the the groundwork for how they got to the raid.
1: Yeah. Um, Also, uh, so like, it's important to mention that the... Initially, when they heard the ATF was investigating, the sheriff and Koresh offered the ATF agents to come investigate, and they said, no, we're not interested, and then they plant an undercover guy, which is why Koresh is like, okay, fine, like you can stay, because he already invited them in once, right? Everything they were mm-hmm. doing was above board. Uh, and then the from there, the ATF just keeps lying. They're like, yeah, he never leaves the property. That's why we have to do it at the property with the women and children, uh, even though, again, that's a lie. He goes out to play with bands all the time. They could have just waited. Um, They used the – when David Koresh called the police to come retrieve a meth lab he found on Mount Carmel, they used that as evidence that maybe Koresh is making meth. Uh, That report that was mentioned that Rodriguez sent in saying that there were illegal weapons – is a horrific report. He literally gets facts wrong. Like, he says they had upper and lower receivers of AK-47s. Yeah. AK-47s don't have upper and lower receivers. It's just a one-piece receiver. Like, the guy, the ATF agent who's supposed to be investigating doesn't understand guns as he's riding in there. And his reason for saying he thinks they're building illegal weapons is that there were weapon parts. Like, he... Yeah, it's so frustrating. How many how many things were purposely overstepped or like ran through the ringer so that the ATF could get a publicity win after they shot a wife and child at Ruby Ridge? It's very yeah, frustrating.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's also funny to me that they uh, did the whole college student house rent out steam yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> like what they is just this, put fucking... their hats
0: on backwards. Like, hey <laughs> yeah. guys, what
1: kind of looking to rent this place out? What's especially funny? A- apparently according to members all of all the agents were like 40 years old and they (laughs) never left the house like so they're like yo we're college students bro what's good and then they sat in the house window for like hours on (laughs) it So everyone's like, "Are those just fans?" I mean, wasn't it if
2: the inverse happened and they didn't even do the investigation, they just got so into character they were doing, they were doing like egg stands out of the lawn and stuff like that. Just fucking going wild, like, the music. Like, "Fuck you, old man, we're free." <laughs> Stressing over their thesis papers and shit like that for a subject they're not even taking. <laughs> I gotta get to school, and,
1: man. And then, and then one day, one of them, Rodriguez, comes over. A forty-year-old man. He's like, "Yo, I'm from college. Can I sit in with you guys?"
2: <laughs> What's up, dudes?
1: Yeah. What's up, bros? How's this shit today? is yeah. like super rad. I'm looking to
0: just kind of take <laughs> a, a
2: peeperouski in here. Yeah, he's where he's yeah. fucking like Stan from American Dad. He's wearing like a three B suit with an American flag
1: badge <laughs> in. <laughs> All right. So now, now we're getting to the depressing part. One thing I want to mention, uh, is they, the ATF in pre- preparation for February 28th was running training grounds on a one for one recreation of the Colt compound at a nearby military base. So they ran this drill on the compound over and over, uh, like how they were going to breach the windows, how they were going to get in the day of the raid. They were so prepped for a gunfight that they wrote their blood type on their wrist and neck. That way, if they got shot and were unconscious, they could get hooked up real quick. Keep in mind.
2: Wouldn't that be normal procedure for like raids, though, surely?
1: Not uh, like it's not normal for like ATF or like police doing stuff. There's like some special ops guys who go to that level. Like, you know, something like that will be done. Uh, But it's not normal for ATF. Especially keep in mind, this is a warrant, right? They're not going in to be like, all right, we're going to kill everyone in the compound. This is, we're going to serve Koresh uh, a warrant for his arrest. And we're also going to bring 40 ATF agents with rifles to do it. Like, it's, it, okay, David Koresh left his property all the time. He offered to let the ATF come in, do what they want, and they're immediately jumping to the most militaristic action possible. On February the 28th, 1993, Jim Peeler, a cameraman for Waco's KWTX-TV, encountered a U.S. mail carrier named David Jones. Peeler was searching for the Davidian residents, aware that a raid was imminent that day. Unbeknownst to Peeler, Jones had a connection with Koresh and promptly rushed to inform him of the impending raid. Meanwhile, Robert Rodriguez, an undercover ATF agent, was present at the compound and was approached by David Koresh, who pleaded with him to call off the raid. Rodriguez attempted to relay this information to his superiors, urging them to reconsider as Koresh had been alerted. However, his warnings were disregarded. It is reported that approximately 150 people, including women and children, were present at Mount Carmel Carmel at this time. Um, So what that looked like, you have a male, you have a cameraman who just asks a random mailman, like, do you know how to get to the compound? There's going to be a big ATF raid today. And then unbeknownst to the cameraman that or unbeknownst to the reporter that mailman knows koresh so he goes and tells him and then koresh outs that he knows that rodriguez is an undercover agent um and rodriguez says that he played it down that he was like uh, no what do you mean i don't know what you're talking about uh when it, so that was the moment that it was if it was found out that koresh knew who rodriguez was the whole time
2: yeah i also found it strange that the uh, the news agency or the news media group or whatever had inside information they knew they knew that something was going to go down
1: isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient that the ATF, who definitely doesn't need a publicity helping, told the local camera crews that they were going to be doing a big raid <laughs> yeah, that day? Like,
2: hey, you're going to want to come see this shit. It's going to get wild. Like,
1: yeah, come on. Yeah. This definitely isn't a publicity stunt, guys. It's definitely not why we're going over the top. By the way, bring cameras. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it's definitely crazy. not why we're endangering the lives of this many kids, anyway, by putting them in the middle of what we expect to be a gunfight. Mm-hmm. Um. At approximately 9.45 a.m., the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms initiated an operation to execute the arrest and search warrants against Koresh. Conflicting reports have emerged regarding the origins of the gunfire. Initially, ATF agents claimed that the Davidians fired the first shots. However, this narrative has since evolved. Two main theories have surfaced regarding the initial gunfire. Some suggest an agent fired after spotting a Davidian in a window armed with a gun. Alternatively, It's proposed that an agent shot a dog belonging to the Branch Davidians, triggering a rapid exchange of gunfire. So, they pull up to the compound, Koresh steps out front with his hands above his head and says there's women and children in here, Uh, and then someone shoots. For years, the ATF and every agent that was there said that the Branch Davidians shot first. And then in recent years, they're like, actually, that was a lie. Uh, We shot first. Apparently, the Davidians had two, like, big huskies. Uh, that ran out towards an agent, an agent just guns down the dogs and then everyone opens fire. All the other agents start shooting just because they were like skittish and heard a gunshot. Yeah. Um, so that's what likely triggered it. David caress was positioned outside the front door with his hands raised. When the gunfire erupted, he sustained injuries to his stomach and hand before retreating inside and closing the door behind him. Evidence suggests that the ATF fired at the door as multiple bullet holes were found. The disappearance of this front door raises suspicion, especially since the left door remained intact and held as evidence. There's direct testimony from an agent who contradicted his initial report, indicating that he witnessed other agents loading the right door into the back of a U-Haul. The door holds a lot of significance because David Kresh was only outside for like a second and a half when the gunshots were going. So... If the gunshot started and there were a bunch of bullet holes in the right door, it would point to agents firing at Koresh, an unarmed man, as soon as the gunfire started, right? Yeah. Uh, when the ATF's official story is that David Koresh was just caught in the crossfire. But if there's a bunch of bullet holes right behind him, then they were definitely gunning for him. And then the door just disappears, never shows up. Uh, actually, as a matter of fact, I believe that door was actually found years later in evidence lockup. I've seen a picture of what's supposedly the door, uh, and it's full of bullet holes. If it is the door, I'll try to find a picture for you, Jackson, but, um, okay yeah so but it looks like they just got rid of evidence as soon as it was over are you sure
2: that's not the left door because i know the left door is, exists currently and is still held
1: as evidence the the images i've seen have claimed it to be the right door but again i, do, I don't know if that's verified or not it could be the left door and just people saying like oh this is the right door aren't the atf evil or whatever yeah, um, why doesn't
2: the government but- just tell us what happened to the door please
1: What door? There was never a door. What are you talking about? You're crazy. It was only a left door there to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, they, they, the Branch Davidians, famously known for their one door policy. Jackson, come on. They they do.
2: They. It is said in my in my script even that they had an open door
1: policy. So maybe they That Uh, that was a good one. That was pretty good. All right. (laughs) Um, Talking on the first on the first day of the confrontation. Wayne Martin, a Branch Davidian, made a desperate call to the police, pleading with the agents to cease their gunfire due to the presence of women and children inside the building, who were at risk. Another member, Cooper, echoed Martin's sentiment, asserting his right to self-defense as the agents initiated the shooting. After an intense exchange lasting two and a half hours, which only ceased because the agents ran out of ammunition. Despite the hostility. Uh, So basically the ATF agents made their way up to the second floor windows, breach the windows, go inside Uh, Two ATF agents die up there. A couple more die on the ground. There's a, you can actually see on video of, of like bullet bullets flying out of the wall, along where an agent is, and he gets shot and falls off the roof. Um, a few more Davidians died inside. There was a big gunfight inside and then every, all the ATF agents evacs. And like you mentioned, only quit firing because they ran out of bullets. Um, Despite the hostility, yeah, there's, there's, the Davidians... There's footage
2: of them carrying away their wounded and stuff like that, and yeah, it yeah. very confronting That's It was all imagery.
1: on TV, right? Yeah, yeah it was. It's wild. Um, despite the hostility, the Davidians allowed the ATF agents to retrieve their wounded and deceased comrades. However, as the Davidians returned inside after burying their dead in the Mount Carmel Cemetery, an ATF agent fatally shot one of them. The circumstances surrounding this incident remain unconfirmed, with... Reports suggesting that the Davidian may have initiated gunfire toward the ATF. On the first day, four agents were killed and sixteen were injured. Additionally, six Davidians reportedly lost their lives, with many more sustaining injuries. Of course, the exact number is hard to know because of where the story ends up. Um, so yeah, they had so during this time, the Davidians buried six, uh, five dead, and then an ATF agent shoots one of them. All the Davidians say that guy just was holding a shovel. ATF agent says it was a gun. Um, you know, it's, it's still argued, obviously the official report still that he had a gun, but the FBI hostage rescue team assumed control of the situation following the initial ATF confrontation. David Koresh took to calling local news stations, granting interviews to, uh, what is that word? Elucidate. Elucidate. It just means that's a good him. word. That is a good <laughs> word. All right. Granted, in interviews to elucidate the circumstances. <laughs> he recounted how the ATF arrived at the property in heavily armed vehicles, shouting commands that he couldn't discern. Koresh emphasized that while his group possessed weapons, they had no intention of using them, but rather sought peaceful resolution. He asserted that the ATF's failure to comprehend their beliefs led to violent encounter. Koresh adamantly claimed that the ATF initiated the gunfire, prompting him to plead for dialogue and secession of violence. Recordings of these interviews captured Koresh's cries of pain and insistence on his right to self-defense. Yeah, yeah, so he makes a bunch of videos to the news, basically explaining what happened. In response to Koresh's media outreach, the ATF severed phone lines and established a single communication channel between negotiators and Koresh. Over the ensuing hours, Koresh engaged in extensive discussions with FBI negotiators, delving into topics ranging from his family to religious beliefs and beyond. The ATF anticipated that the branch Davidians would either resort to mass or exit Mount, sorry, mass hang up, uh, or exit <laughs> Mount Carmel voluntarily. However, with their apocalyptic belief centered around the second coming of Christ, the Davidians had stock, uh, stocked ample supplies to endure a prolonged standoff. Yeah, they
2: were doomsday cold. Of course they were. Yeah, and also,
1: like, their whole thing is that they were afraid of the armies of Babylon. Like, Koresh had taught for years that one day the evil armies of the world will come to attack them and they have to be ready. So guess what happens when 40 federal agents roll up and start shooting at them? Everyone's like, wow, Koresh was right. Yeah. yeah
2: that's that's the most annoying thing about this situation is like you inadvertently kind of proved him right at least to his followers and stuff like that yeah like holy yeah. shit there, there were right.
1: fbi investigators after this was over that's like maybe we are the armies of babylon <laughs> maybe that's what happened <laughs> and in an attempt to negotiate surrender david koresh offered to turn himself in if the atf broadcasted a one-hour tape sermon of his on the radio Despite complying with this request, Koresh then informed FBI that he had received divine guidance indicating that he was not yet meant to surrender. This move, by the way, would just would be the ATF's justification for a lot of what happened. They'd say, oh, well, he lied to us once, right? Um, This decision frustrated the FBI, leading to speculation during a press conference about Koresh's purported conversations with God. When asked if they believe Koresh was indeed communicating with God, FBI officials responded with a measured acknowledgement that Koresh likely believed he was. Punctuated by audible laughter in the background, <laughs> yeah, yes. just fucking laughing, <laughs> just <laughs> laughing at him, yeah, yep. yeah. yeah I, I was, I, I've seen that video. Everyone's like, ha, the stupid little cult people." Haha. Yeah, but he does
2: believe in it. What a fucking loser! <laughs>
1: yeah, which crash? Very true, very accurate. The yeah, children f- in the building, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> not yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. It but was the-
2: very clear that they had dehumanized every single individual yes. in the building at this point.
1: Yeah, they they kept saying, like, oh, because of Jonestown, they kept being like, oh, everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna do it. They're all gonna drink the Kool-Aid any second now, like, yeah. or they're all gonna go out into blaze of the glory. There's no, there was no middle ground to them.
2: I do want to say, though, if, if because they accepted the offer to tape, he, uh, or show his one-hour tape sermon on the radio, I do think there was at least some effort from the FBI. I, I think. To end it, Yeah. Yeah, I think they had realized it at this point that they had already botched this up significantly. Four agents were dead. Um, yeah. and there was a lot of life lost. And they, they went into this thing. This was going to be an easy PR win, obviously, because the, yep. they had yep. sent the word to, you know, the media and stuff like that. And Why clearly, saved the kids. Yeah. Clearly, it's now turned into a multi day siege. So then they're, they're probably, probably regretting their decisions at this point. So I do think they were desperate to end this without further loss of life. But, uh, David Koresh, I think, made the fatal mistake of not giving himself up and instead um, reneging on their on their deal yeah. that they made. I think that was kind of a pivotal mistake in all of this because yeah. I kind of get it from the FBI's yeah. point. Like They're like, well, clearly this, this guy is not playing uh, fair with us anymore. But they had put themselves in this situation, of course, as well. So it, it's hard to... It-
1: it's a question of how insane he is, right? Because if he's lucid of this, then yeah, absolutely. Just evil, made a deal, didn't want to let his people go. Others argue that maybe he th- had some like episode in the midst of this and thought God was speaking to him again. Uh, I, I tend to go more so that he just didn't want to give up, didn't want to walk out. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that decision on both sides would lead to what comes shortly. As the standoff persisted at the compound, Uh, The FBI employed tactics such as cutting off power to the facility and engaging in confrontational behaviors towards Branch Davidians observing from windows. During a call with an FBI negotiator, Branch Davidian Steve Schneider expressed bewilderment, questioning who was in control of the individuals outside the compound. He described them engaging in lewd gestures, which made the Branch Davidians wary of surrendering to the FBI. Despite the tense situation, David Koresh expressed willingness to allow anyone who wished to leave the compound to do so, Several mothers and children took this opportunity to depart, but upon exiting, the women were promptly arrested and the children were separated for interrogation. So... The, the Lou Gestures, apparently a bunch of ATF agents were, like, getting naked and, like, bending over in front of <laughs> what? the windows. What? Okay. they were, they I didn't, were like I didn't read that. I the agents they were, were like... like, pulling down their pants and spreading their butt cheeks to the windows and stuff like that. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck? Uh, they were, like, hip thrusting in the air. Spent well. uh, someone got in the tank at one point and started driving over the graves they had just made yeah. of uh, the, the five dead. I did uh, read that. Yeah. So so you've got this cult of like, you know, comparatively conservative Christians, not the word for it, but they think they're Christian. Uh, they're sitting in the windows and then they see a bunch of federal agents mooning them And driving over graves and stuff like that. And then a few of the women go out and they watch from the window as the moms are tackled and arrested and the kids taken away. And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, I'll surrender to those guys. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah,
2: Yeah, there's clearly not much good faith going on from the FBI side on, on the outside, like antagonizing them. Like, yeah. if, you're, if you're that much of a believer and you look out and you believe that you're seeing the forces of the devil, or forces of Satan and stuff, and then they bend over and spread their butt cheeks at you, yeah, nope. I kind of get it I kind of get what, why you'd be one apprehensive of, about going One of there. the uh,
1: there One of the most annoying things is there's a call between uh, it, the, that call between Schneider and the FBI negotiator, he's on the phone and he's like, there's guys out here, you know, showing their rear ends to the women and stuff like that, and the FBI's response uh, or the negotiator's response he's like, oh, well, you know, you know, boys, you know, boys will boys be boys. Boys will be boys. <laughs> boys, yeah, will be boys. Who, who doesn't
0: go see a window during a very
1: intense shootout occasionally? You know what I'm saying, gentlemen? Yeah, yeah, we've all been there. Who among us is innocent? It was a bonding
2: exercise, (laughs) goddammit. We pop open
0: the Budweiser and start looking at butt. That's what I'm saying. That's that's all I'm getting at.
2: It's sounding more and more like these were actual college students. (laughs) They weren't undercover. It's just a force Uh, of college
1: students. So on the ninth day of the standoff, David sought to provide the public with insight into the beliefs and values of the Branch Davidians. The FBI facilitated this by sending a video camera into Mount Carmel. In the recorded footage, David vehemently criticizes the ATF's actions, denouncing their intrusion into their home as un-American. He emphasizes his commitment to defending his family, showcasing the presence of young children in the room. Despite David's efforts to share these videos with the public, the FBI opted not to release them, fearing as they would generate sympathy and support for the Branch Davidians. (laughs) I've seen the whole tape. It's David. I think I put the whole tape in my video, but it's David setting up there with a bunch of kids and he's like, you know, you come, you come at me. I'll meet you at the door any day, which is like, it, it's the kind of speak a bunch of like, you know, quote unquote, red blooded Americans would get behind. So the ATF saw that and we're like, we're not going to post that. Yeah, It's um, a call
2: to arms basically.
1: Pretty much. Uh, as the siege dragged on, both sides felt increasingly trapped with no sign of progress after a week and a half. While negotiators assume, uh, attempted to engage David Kresh and other Branch Davidian members in dialogue, the, hostage, uh, the HRT uh, hostage rescue team applied pressure to expedite the situation. The HRT resorted to aggressive tactics, including running takes over Branch Davidian vehicles, which resulted in the crushing of bodies previously slain. Additionally, they illuminated the building with spotlights throughout the night and blasted disturbing noises such as recordings of rabbits being murdered over loudspeakers. Um, yeah, so Just fucking lunatics. They think this cult is like an insane group of people who are going to go crazy any minute, and their response is to point spotlights in their windows and play dolphin noises all night. Run,
2: run over the fucking corpses of their like their friends and and fellow cult members over in their tanks. And this will like calm that. it down.
1: Yeah, yeah. like
3: <laughs>
2: this is this is the hostage rescue team, by the way. Yes. Also, I want to uh, for
1: those. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry we'll get you out of there we're working
0: on it everybody check this out i'm putting a firecracker up this corpse's butt <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like the the thing about rabbits being murdered it's no joke the audio is like horse's name and dolphin noises and car oh yeah, crash sounds yeah like at, at maximum volume it's insane like, these are the same guys who were flashy women. Who wrote women. the
2: textbook on this fucking hostage-like strategy? I, I also uh, want to this mention... Is,
0: this is by the book, I'll tell you right now. If I'm trying H- to rescue hostages, I gotta get them off their guards. So I gotta <laughs> surprise them with fucking jump scares and horse noises.
1: The uh, the HRT team that was here was the same team that was at Ruby Ridge, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Uh, oh, <laughs> yes, the, the same shooter, his name was Lon Horiuchi... Uh, who shot Vicki Weaver, the woman uh, then, at Ruby yeah. Ridge in the standoff, uh, he was posted up at a building down the road with a sniper rifle, and many say that he is the one who fired at that guy who was walking back in with the shovel. From the funeral. Yeah, no, actually, sorry, that was an ATF one. Later in the story, he's accused of shooting people at the at the end of everything that goes down. So they literally put the same people on the same guns uh, as they did back at Ruby Ridge, they're like, "Yep, we'll just copy paste. What's the worst that could happen?" And then you get stuff like this: "Oh, play animal noises. That'll calm them down." Um, again,
2: again, they they came here intending to like smooth over their reputational damage they suffered during the Ruby they Ridge like incident.
1: Fucking maniacs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys, news fun? cameras. This will fix everything quickly. Spread your ass cheeks. That uh, It was around this point that they made the news crew stand like three miles back further up the road so they could just catch brief glimpses of this. Yeah, yeah they're like,
2: uh, this isn't going the way we planned. Uh, get everyone out
3: of here.
1: New- news cameras, come here. We're going to fix our reputation. All right. If you could stand three miles that way and listen to the goat noises all night, <laughs> that'd be great.
2: <sighs> news guys, come here. We're, we're repairing the damage and then they get naked and start like yes! the cameras and stuff like that. Do you see like what that. I mean?
1: That I get so upset with the ATF. Yes, like, get, like how did it. it come to this? This is why I'm they're, mad. Okay, they're so out of
2: touch. <laughs> like I don't yes! understand how much more huh. out of touch you could be.
1: <sighs> oh, it gets worse. You're about to find out. <laughs> yeah. Much, um, yeah. Yeah. You did write this. Yeah. Despite objection, <laughs> the, the theoretical you in the audience, you are going to find yes, out. Yeah. Um, Despite objections from negotiators who warned against escalating tensions, these tactics were widely reported in the media. It appeared that the FBI strategy aimed to push the Branch Davidians to their breaking point, perhaps hoping to provoke a response that would justify a forceful intervention. In addition to cutting off power, water lines to Mount Caramel were also severed. Compounding the situation, two of the compound's water tanks were damaged during the initial gunfire, leaving the entire complex reliant on a single tank for survival. Yeah, starve them out, make them desperate, that'll that'll end well.
2: That was a strategy, uh, it was a dumb strategy, but continue.
1: Oh, I, I will add, the night that they cut power, like, totally to the compound, the reason they did is because to combat the noises, David Koresh set up a bunch of loudspeakers and started playing oh, his guitar out of the top playing window. He was on a rock show? Yeah, God, to it's exactly so much cooler. The, so imagine this, the ATF has, like, spotlights on them playing, like, loud animal noises, and then you hear, like he he was standing in the top window playing. For all said, the news the smoke on the water. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, th- I've I've seen the recording. He was playing some old rock song. I forget which one it was. I think it was a Vietnam song, like All Around the Watchtower or something. If it's uh, something like that, mm, yeah, like makes sense. Which could you imagine? <laughs> like David Kresh, evil, evil person. But objectively, that one moment is neat. Um, well, yeah. What if
2: he comes out and starts shredding, and it brings everyone together? Like the <laughs> ATF agents lay down their weapons it's like that oh, pepsi commercial
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the power of rock unites us um but they cut the power when he started doing that um mm-hmm. so anyway uh the area surrounded the compound had transformed into something resembling a tourist attraction with the fbi set up drawing crowds Merchandise stalls, food vendors, and curious members of the public gathered snapping photos and staging protests. Uh, I've seen pictures from that event. They had dogs wearing ATF uniforms. People were wearing shirts that's like, um, like kids were wearing t-shirts that said like, please don't shoot me and stuff like that. They were selling hot dogs. It was so weird. That is so uh, American, by the way. There's a it is. Is very, it military
2: red going on, and they set up a little, a little market at the front. Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> like, a, they're like they're, they're like there's people like getting photos in front of news crews. There are a bunch of people dressed up as ATF agents walking around. Like, see any dogs? I'm gonna shoot them. If you got a dog, I'm gonna shoot it. Like, yeah, yeah. Merchandise stalls, food vendors, and curious members of the public gathered, snapping photos. Is of- and staging protests. However, amidst this spectacle, the FBI had effectively limited media access, pushing reporters back so they could see the compound but not hear the ongoing events. Despite the media blackout, public opinion on the situation was plentiful, with many expressing their views on how it should be resolved. U.S. Attorney Janet Reno urgently briefed President Bill Clinton on the escalating crisis at Waco, stressing the need for swift resolution and dismissing his suggestion to wait it out. Reno raised concerns about alleged child abuse occurring at the facility despite a lack of concrete evidence supporting these claims. Ultimately, she obtained approval to bring an end to the siege by any means necessary. Uh, it's also to be mentioned the narrative that Reno pushed forward to Bill Clinton is that as the siege was going on, children were actively being like molested and abused inside of the con. Like at gunpoint, so they were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah.
2: like we, we got to go in there and kill everyone. They're molesting children. Kill the children too, though. Like, what the fuck? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's 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 absurdist. But yeah, anyway, yeah, I could talk about it forever. But to continue, uh, on April 14th, David Koresh penned a letter claiming to have received his final communication from God. He indicated that he was diligently working on interpreting the seven seals and expressed, and expressed optimism that the situation could be peacefully resolved without any loss of life. However, the FBI asserted during testimony that negotiations had reached a stalemate viewing Koresh's letter and writings as a mere delaying tactic. Despite their awareness that Koresh had completed the interpretation of the first seal and even provided typewriter ribbons to corroborate this, they ultimately perceived his actions to be based around the stalling of the siege. So... He's like, before I go to jail, I want to write my last, like, statement, basically, about the Bible. And the FBI, which, to their credit, he did lie once. He did say, if you put this out, I'll give up. Um, But he started sending out pieces of the manuscript, saying, when this manuscript's done, I'll come out. But the FBI said they don't believe him, which led to the events that follow. With a sense of urgency to conclude the now 51 day standoff, on April the 19th at 5.59 a.m., the FBI contacted the Davidians to notify them that an immediate an imminent tear gas assault, issuing a final warning. By 6.02, two FBI tanks forcefully rammed into the compound, deploying gas through spray nozzles into the building. At 6.04 a.m., the Davidians retaliated by opening fire, prompting women and children to seek refuge, refuge in a bunker within the structure as the gas mask provided did not fit the children. Ah oh, man. Meanwhile. That the seems like d- such a
2: that such seems like such a big blunder that they didn't make child sized gas masks. They're yeah. Like End of the world kind of people.
1: Yeah, uh probably I think they just bought surplus stuff. And you know, military yeah. surplus doesn't have child sized but yeah, it um Unfortunately. Ah, I hate this part of it. Okay. Um Same. amidst the chaos, a white flag was raised upstairs with the banner requesting uh the repair of phone lines. In response, the FBI broadcasted an announcement urging the Davidians to surrender by exiting the compound. However, however, it later emerged that their attempt to contact the FBI was prompted by the destruction of the bunker's entrance by the tank.
2: Yeah, so they literally couldn't leave. They couldn't leave. They couldn't. All like- of
1: the women and children went into a bunker to escape the tear gas, and then a tank broke the entrance, so no one yeah. could get out. That's the reason that the men wouldn't leave the building in the midst of what happened. Because they were trying to get the women out. As a matter of fact most of the bodies that were recovered. Were recovered around the entrance to that door. As the men were trying to find a way to open. It's gosh man. Around midday Mount Carmel was engulfed in flames. Despite efforts by firefighters to reach the building. They were halted at the scene. Due to concerns of potential gunfire. The fire spread rapidly consuming the structure. Entirely. In the aftermath, bodies recovered were largely unrecognizable, with indications suggesting that many men had attempted to save women and children sheltered in the Bunkle during their final moments. Women and children uh, appeared to have succumbed to a combination of suffocation and poisoning from tear gas exposure. Some individuals bore gunshot wounds, suggesting possible acts of mercy killing uh several uh, several of the so the the gas that was being burned in the air can cause like cyanide like effects a bunch mm. of like the kids were found dead in states of convulsion and muscle tearing as if like they were having violent like seizing and like very very painful death um yeah and remember the yeah. atf
2: was sending the atf and fbi were there to save the children <laughs> to save the that kids
1: w- yeah yes save the kids Resulted in every one of them dying. Yeah. The, uh, right before this happened, I think eight people left the building. But other than that, everyone who was inside, well, other than the nine, but ev- all the kids who were inside that bunker didn't make it. Um, Gosh, it's evil. Uh, also, if uh, Koresh, him, well, you're, you're, we're going to get to that. Sorry. Only nine Branch Divinians managed to escape the fire, emerging as the final survivors of the siege. Among them, they carried fragments of David Koresh's unfinished transcript, a project he had been diligently working on. Kresh himself was discovered with a bullet wound, possibly inflicted by his assistant Steve Schneider, who subsequently took his own life afterwards. And how do you think?
2: Eight- how do you think the ATF fucking? Uh, how do you think the ATF and the FBI followed up with this? This just fucking awful situation where so many children, women died at their hands. Like how? How do you think they uh, took this moment?
1: So, if you watch, like, the Netflix series, Waco, it ends with the ATF crying, like, what have I done, oh, the humanity type thing. This is how they actually responded. A total of 82 (laughs) individuals perished in the blaze, including 23 children. Following the devastation, as the Davidians' flag fell to the ground, the ATF raised their own flag on the flagpole. A symbolic gesture of military triumph. Aware of the global scrutiny, this act signified the conclusion of the battle, declaring victory for the authorities. Additionally, ATF agents posed triumphantly amidst the debris of the burned building, even as the bodies of the deceased still lay amidst the ruins.
2: Actually, infuriating. There's pictures of the flagpole with like the U.S. flag and the uh, ATF, you know, flag and and stuff like yep. that hoisted up on it with people um, like among the wreckage and stuff like that.
1: Just. It's just sickening this the snipers took pictures with their rifles over their backs in front of corpses like like as if this is some mighty military raid and not 23 kids that just died in a fire it gosh it makes me sick and your your own
2: citizens by the way your own citizens
1: this, this is the part that makes me insane right okay so there's several points in history where we like governments have screwed up and Hopefully they're later like, yeah, that was a bad point in history, right? Like for example, let's, let's take something like Vietnam, right? A lot of government officials now recognize a lot of what we did in Vietnam was bad, right? Whatever to this day, to this day. The, the official report is that everything that went down at Waco was the heroic ATF slaughtering child molesters, and it's it's a shame some of them had to die, but really we saved the day at the end of it. One of the guys who posed in a picture there last year was up for being elected as head of the ATF. He was put forward by, like I believe, the Biden administration to be the head of the ATF. They still view all the agents who were there as heroes in the press, in the news. They said that everything they did was justified. It's debated if the branch Davidians ever even fired back at ATF agents because the ATF, as soon as the fire, there was no evidence of gunshots being fired. There is some aerial footage that indicates maybe the ATF fired inside of the building. Uh, As soon as fire trucks, showed up. They were like, no, no, they've got guns. You can't go in there. So they just let the building burn. Not only yeah. that, but like Lon Horyushi, the sniper I mentioned earlier, he was accused of firing at the people who were running out of the building trying to get away. And then immediately after Waco, he rebarreled his rifle so that no forensics could be performed. It is so frustrating how they all got away with it, and to this day they're viewed as heroes. Every, uh, every year, the ATF post- a, a remembrance post on the anniversary of Waco in dedication to the four brave agents who gave their lives fighting this evil cult and every year they get clowned in the comments rightfully so but it infuriates me that it's still seen as a triumph as a military conquest when it was just people dying
0: it was a lot that of people is dying actually fucking insane i didn't know that they still like celebrated it i thought they were embarrassed by it as well because of how tragic it was and how horribly it was handled i didn't know like even today it was viewed positively. Yeah, by, they like, should they should be embarrassed of
2: it, right? It was clearly yeah. That, that'd be one
0: of the most shameful things. Yeah, it's a complete failure by every measurable metric.
2: You killed tw- tw- sorry twenty three children of your own country, your own your own fellow citizens in a failed attempt to save them, like in in the most excruciating way possible. By the way, po- probably like in a in a fire wreckage of your own you, you
1: burned women and children alive and it's still a good thing. It's still looked back on as yeah, we made the right call there. Good job, boys. And you immediately
2: like, celebrate by like raising your own flag and stuff like that instead of taking like an honest moment of introspection to realize what you were th- doing. There's
1: there's no level of I hate we had to do this. I hate that it came down to this. It's it's just like good job. We did Government, it. Government fuck yeah.
2: yeah. And like that, that kind of mood. Come on. They just start fist
0: bumping. Let's go, boys. And we'll yeah. do it again, too.
1: And yeah. every like media try, whenever, like, for example, like when you hear stuff talked about Ted Kaczynski, because Janet Reno was a part of that too. Every time that uh they mention like Waco or whatever in media, they always have the FBI or ATF be like, yeah, that was a real tragic moment. I hate that had to happen. No, that's not how they talk about it at all. They still, it's still seen as like one of our wins. We did a good one there. Ruby Ridge, not so much, but we got him this time. This is our, our win. It's ah,
2: and the final insult to this whole thing, the FBI later released public statements that they believed the Davidians that set the fires themselves as a mass a mass unenliving. So it wasn't enough to have put them in this situation. Uh, it wasn't enough to crash tanks through their building and spray gas, flammable gas into the building and stuff like that. They had to come out later and say, "Well, actually, the Davidians did it to themselves. Ridiculous.
1: Yeah, also for years, four years, several FBI agents, ATF agents would make statements in court in front of juries and say that uh, they saw the individuals within the compound uh, igniting the fire themselves. They saw them doing it and that actually the gas they deployed inside the building isn't flammable when it turns out it is flammable. They lied on the stand for a decade and then they're like, actually, we made that up. We don't know who how the fire started, but potentially... Pumping a building full of tear gas and then running a tank through it might cause something to spark.
0: Oh, um, yes. Yeah. No, that that's an unproven science that we can't <laughs> possibly hope to understand.
1: Uh, yeah those crazy cults are supposed to have done it themselves
2: isn't it isn't it like kind of a conflict of interest that the government is investigating itself in the first situation like how do you know yes that they're being my gosh
1: thank honest? you this I feel insane people are like oh well they investigated it the ATF like thank you that clears yeah. up everything
2: for me <laughs> yeah. also find, like the people fucking spraying their ass cheeks at children through the windows are the ones investigating if they did it right come on another
1: important thing to note is they they are Janet Reno and everyone claimed for years that on the day of the fire they never used any kind of incendiary or explosive device at all uh and then in the wreckage they found grenade launcher shells and stuff like that or like uh, they found ammo casings and stuff and the atf was like huh that's weird anyway (laughs) like they just they just talk over it crazy cultists Uh, must
0: have been eating grenades or something in there (laughs)
1: christ weirdos also to, to to drive the nail home I found the ATF's tweet uh from the anniversary of Waco where they said they post f- pictures of the four dead agents and say on this day 26 years ago four ATF agents were killed in the line of duty in a mission outside of Waco Texas we honor all the special agents present that day who persisted in the face of danger their bravery and brotherhood continues to unite our organization That's I'm not happy
2: I'm I'm not happy uh, that the I'm ATF agent Well, I'm not happy that they died or anything like crazy. (laughs) I'm not happy they died either. Well, obviously not. not. To be clear. I just want to
1: make that But as organizational like decision making, the idea that everything that happened here is still an honorable line of duty instead of mistakes, something we should learn some, something we should work our way back from. Gosh, it eats me up. Are you mad too now, Jackson? Are you successfully upset? Okay. Yeah, I'm furious. That's
2: that's such a ridiculous outcome to a situation that they had themselves
1: created. And, and like again to clarify David Kresh is evil this yeah. is his fault but the solution to saving 23 kids is not to kill them like yeah. call me crazy I feel crazy for God ah.
2: <laughs> like just at a utilitarian angle what did we actually accomplish here
1: well the kids can't uh, get molested anymore <laughs> Yep. <laughs> like they put an
0: end to the child abuse by taking away the children <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like, it's just such a It's not something that should be celebrated or remembered fondly by the ATF or anything of that uh, caliber. It is, it is an enormous government failure, and it should be remembered as, as such. Because even if oh, they yeah. did go, even if they went in with good intentions or if they acted with good intentions, at the end of the day, the outcome is this terrible, terrible loss of life from both sides. Nothing was gained. Nothing was gained. It was an enormous waste yeah, of, yeah. of life. And uh, it's just shocking, yeah. <sighs> terrible. Unfortunately, I've got to depart
0: before the final conclusion, so I'll just get—I'll get my hot take out there. It's a bit brave. I think it was bad. <laughs> I think what, I think what happened is is a, is a bad thing.
2: I'll say it. I'll say it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you started the episode by saying that, by the way. So,
1: so the two and a
2: half hours, nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> my mind hasn't been changed. It's still bad.
1: Now he thinks it is extra bad, really bad, yeah. even. Yeah. perhaps badly one might right. say no charlie has with
2: to that, depart he's got a thing on now so sadly yeah. we didn't get to squeeze the entire episode in the, in that time frame so he's gonna leave now That's thanks for close. joining us though charlie we'll see yep. you next time thanks bye bye
1: talk bye. to you later man bye all right so my friend jackson would you like to close us out with uh yep. the, so the we'll, ending here?
2: we'll right. end up we'll end the episode talking about the fire itself the investigation into the fire in the aftermath. So several surviving branch Davidians maintain their innocence, denying any involvement in starting the fire. However, a panel of arson investigators contradicts this assertion, concluding that the Davidians ignited fires simultaneously at three different locations within the compound itself. Listening devices installed in the compound on April 19th captured members discussing phrases such as spread the fuel, and light it when the tanks get here, which was presented as evidence of their intent to start a fire. Survivors argued that these conversations likely pertained to the preparation of Molotov cocktails. During subsequent trials, juries struggled to discern the words captured by the audio recordings due to their muffled quality. So yeah, the jury couldn't determine whether or not those phrases. Yeah, were actually I've I've seen.
1: heard the audio recordings, and it, you can hear the word. I think I could hear like tank and stuff, but it's very muffled. But the ATF presents it as here is them saying, "Spread the fuel and light it when the tank gets here." So like the jury was like, "I guess," but it's it's hard to know. And also like I I could see them making Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um again, none of this would happen had the building not been full with CS gas and tanks raided to it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, Like The strategy to ram the tanks into the building in the first place is such an over... uh, I I, I feel like it's just such a massive leap in aggression, you know, like to to force tanks in. And at the end of the day, what would it have... like waiting a few more weeks or something like that, or employing some other tactic than just immediately forcing the anything
1: besides killing kids right Yeah, and like uh, uh, like that koresh was sending out pieces of the manuscript i think he had like seven pages left of a 90 page thing or whatever when they brought it out to investigators uh koresh right before he had asked for two more weeks three days before right so i think you know yes he's lied to you before sure uh but maybe give it 10 more days before you kill 23 kids just a thought you know? Yeah,
2: or uh, even if it's not directly them killing the kids, let's say let's say that the Davidians did start the fire, uh, like ten more days before forcing their hand or putting them in a position yeah. where they need to yeah. make that massive jump. Um, I don't. Again, I just feel like there's so many different, but probably better ways to have ended this, even. Even given the circumstances, the tear gas deployed by the FBI contained CS gas, which is flammable. Initially, the FBI vehemently denied the use of pyrotechnic grenades on that day. However, in 1999, the FBI reversed its stance and acknowledged the possibility that pyrotechnic devices were employed. <laughs> so they were like, psych, we actually did. The
1: possibility. <laughs> yeah, the possibility. What, uh, how what do you a not wild know,
2: word. How do you not know what equipment you're using? You do. I,
1: I, I don't know, maybe. Maybe there yeah, was some power, yeah. I don't know.
2: <laughs> oh, no, it's like, it's
3: fucking Christ. Uh, even if, also, that, again, even if that is true that saying, you
2: didn't know, what a massive like, self-report on your governmental... like. Uh, uh, you know, quality. Oops.
1: Yeah, there's video footage. So th- there was like a there was a plane flying above it that day, getting video footage, and it had a thermal camera, and you can see like heat flashes by the ATF's tanks, implying the ATF agents were firing shots. Many think that the ATF were shooting people trying to leave the building. Uh which like my word, dude.
2: Yeah, you know. shooting anyway. retreating individuals if that's true yeah
1: shooting just people trying to get out of the fire i mean
2: that's a war crime
1: (laughs) yes it is and and not to mention like i said the same guy who shot vicky weaver um but had his rifle rebarreled right afterwards so no one could tell what happened
2: yeah there's just so many sketchy sketchy things about this whole whole ending part um Yeah. yeah additionally 40 millimeter grenade casings were discovered amidst the wreckage further complicating the investigation investigations done by John Danforth law, lawyer and former Republican in 2000 found that the US government did not cause the fire nor did it shoot at the compound so I, I mean he's a government
1: figure, investigations done by government agents as yeah. government agents did nothing wrong yeah. yeah that's how that reads
2: uh even with these findings yeah. some people are skeptical uh skeptical including us, and view the siege as a government yep. abuse of authority, which I think that's pretty obvious. It is,
1: regardless. And, and like, people try to make Waco a political thing all the time. They're like, oh, they had guns, so just right-wing people like them or whatever. I don't know how anyone from any part of the political spectrum could look at this and be like, well done. Well done, boys. <laughs> good good job. We did it. We did it, Patrick. We saved the city. Like... Yeah.
2: I think I summed it up <sighs> pretty, pretty succinctly before, even if they did have good intentions. Uh, the outcome itself is just so embarrassing. Yeah. So horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, questions swirled around the government's handling of the tragedy that happened at Mount Carmel. There were over 80 casualties from the raid, including women and children. So 80 people died for this fucking shit. <laughs> Ridiculous. There was blame on both sides for the events that unfolded. I think that's fair to say. Well, at least there's blame on David Koresh's side and the government bodies' side. And after there were multiple investigations conducted in order to try and uncover details about the raid, standoff and final assault on the compound by law enforcement, US General Attorney Reno, who uh, is a re- recurring figure, later expressed uh, regret for authorizing the raid. Or well, at least uh, at least she's expo- well, um, expressing regret, I guess.
1: So the way she phrases it every time I've seen is she's like we should have done something Different.
2: <laughs> you don't say.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's never an admittance of like we messed up. It's always like we could have employed better tactics to make it different. And like I've heard some people say after she left office that she expressed it, but I've I, I don't know, man. Like she R- Reno did that stuff a couple times because like immediately after this was over, her and Clinton were like heading forward the assault weapons ban and using AT and using Waco as an example to push their political agenda. Like you can't capitalize off of something for years afterwards and then be remorseful after you've gotten yeah. your way from it like yeah
2: yeah that's fair maybe she later expressed regret maybe she wanted more bombs maybe she wanted like a tactical airstrike on the compound maybe they didn't
1: blow it up enough nine <laughs> yeah. survivors we can do better next time She's like yeah. it took
2: 50 yeah. days for it to happen i wanted it done in the first week Byron yeah. sage <laughs> The lead FBI negotiator during the siege said, "The biggest problem we had was internal." You don't say, <laughs> really? Yeah, we brought it on ourselves. We created a crisis within a crisis. I mean, so, yep.
1: something funny. A, a funny note I heard is a cult psychologist. With the, he went on to do interviews for like documentaries about Waco and stuff. He was called to um, the the site to do psychology about the uh, the people inside, like. Why are they crazy? What do they need to do? And he said, shortly after arriving, I realized the real cult I should be analyzing was the HRT. Yeah. He said that immediately he was like, these guys are way too gung ho. They want something to go down quick. So the cult psychologist began trying to talk down the FBI.
3: Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I could absolutely see yeah. that. It
2: definitely seems like, <sighs> it seems like a, a team of uh, people who are very cultish in nature, especially in that. and, and,
1: and and you know what I mean man like these are people that are supposed to have our best interest at heart you know they're supposed to make things go better they're supposed to save those kids right and th- their solutions like we got to make this into a publicity stunt we got to you know make it look good for the cameras and like something bombastic and it's j- it's so depressing
2: it's so depressing So, obviously, there was significant public outcry and demand for accountability from people uh, still to this day. This led to a series of congressional hearings aimed at scrutinizing the actions and decisions of the ATF and the FBI during the siege. The hearings revealed a series of tactical mistakes, miscommunications, and underestimations of the Branch Davidians' resolve. Critics argued that the agencies had acted too aggressively and had failed to exhaust all options for a peaceful resolution. However, the official reports largely defended the actions of the federal agencies, mm-hmm. citing the illegal weapons and the potential for mass uh, unaliving within the compound as justification for their approach, which is, again, we're fearful that they yep. might all unalive themselves, so let's beat them to the punch and kill them instead. Like, it, yep. it, doesn't, yep. make, it, it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Uh, no criminal charges were brought against the federal agents involved, and indeed, probably no internal, uh, like what do you call it? No internal punishments at all, or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Like again, of you said not. you said there were figures from the Ruby Ridge incident active at at yeah. Waco itself. They, they the clearly, HRT team, they were there. Yeah. yeah, they clearly did not care about punishing their own individuals, and that's probably yeah. what led to led to them mooning and doing such. Let's, let's say, unprofessional actions during this raid. Like, just a crazy situation. <sighs> and I totally it's, it's understand how how you could be... How people, how you, as an American citizen, uh, are able to be so mad about this situation. Because if this happened in and Australia it, from an Australian governmental body, I, I would be beyond furious. There would be a ridiculous use of taxpayer money.
1: And you know what, man? Like, if... If the government now was like, we're, we're sorry, you know, that was a yeah. mistake. It was clear bad. But it's the fact that it's still to this day, like, so ingrained a, 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 a victory. It's so frustrating to be like, OK, I get it. OK, I see where you're at. That's that, that's how you want to be treated. That is how I think of you now. That's what you're like. It just, man, it's gosh, it makes me upset. Yeah, y- You're familiar with uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, right?
2: Uh. <laughs> like briefly not not massively
1: basically uh timothy mcveigh blew up a uh the atf headquarters in oklahoma city uh and it was in 1995 it was two years after this or like a year and a half after this and he cited waco and ruby ridge as being his reasons uh timothy mcveigh used to set outside of court hearings for like lon horiuchi and he was selling bumper stickers with the guy's home address on it. <laughs> so <laughs> like, a
2: lot of a lot of hatred across the country for the There ATF was a lot these- of
1: hatred. And and like with the with the OKC bombing, like this event was used in people's minds to justify even more evil and violence and you know, awful It's just gosh, it just keeps creating problems both in like trust of government, both yeah, well, on more you- evil actions. It, man,
2: the annoying part of it is like these are taxpayer funded um organizations agencies they should be working in the interest of your citizens the most frustrating part for me is that they are entirely creating their own problems here like this is this is all actions that they have done by themselves and like you said they don't learn from it they don't they don't open up to the uh, american people and say yeah this was a mistake we fucked up this was bad we're taking measures to be an agency that you can be proud of or we're trying to become an agency now that you can be uh, happy to for your taxpayer money to be sent towards, you know, there's not there's none of that like, sort. It's just like think about it this way: they want they want to be scary. I think
1: they want to, You're right. You're right. They want to have that power. They want to be like we can do what we want, and you're just gonna have to deal with it, right? We can be the big guys on the block, we don't we don't like it when we're not treated like the military in an invading country, right? So, th- think about it this way: there's a group in texas that they've been investigated by cps all reports have turned out they can't find any evidence of child abuse right again david koresh is a monster but legally like you know they can't they can't get anything on him so the atf hears that they have grenades even though the atf knows better knows those aren't actual grenades but the atf hears this uses this as justification in their head for a pr campaign so they decide to start staking out the property and getting a, a federal warrant to go just arrest a guy they go in making like guns blazing as loud as they can cause this big scene and then they begin to stress out over how quickly they need the scene to end every step of the way they set up a problem and then they handled it poorly over and over it just and it's still it's still a victory it's still the atf flag ran up on the flagpole like yep. it's, man. it
2: sounds like they could have from the reports that I had read. It sounds like they could have very easily arrested him in an isolated way when he was outside he of the went, compound. Th-
1: this guy went to karaoke bars twice a week and the, and the federal agents across the street who have been watching him for half a year or like four months, however long it was, they know that. So how about rather than investing the supposed child molester in a doomsday cult, as you call it with all the children. Maybe wait for him to be alone, just arrest the guy, deal with it like normal people, or maybe take him and the sheriff up on their offer to investigate the property directly. Sure, you may not believe the child stuff, but you can see the gun operation, see that it's legitimate, right? Like maybe do anything other than make a problem for yourself that you get to solve and seem like the superhero. And even when you don't, and even when you kill a lot of people, you'll just lie about the events and say that you were the good guys. Yeah, man.
2: So so annoying. I totally the the hate is justified.
1: I, 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 yeah, I didn't mean to get heated. No, 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 no. <laughs>
2: that's completely fine. Uh, and uh, if okay. there's people it in just, the, yeah. the comments or uh, are there people out there that would disagree with, with with this assessment? Are there like ATF defenders out there that you've seen?
1: There are. I've I've seen them a lot. I've seen guys who are like, you know, very, very pro-military, very pro-government. They're like, well, they're keeping us safe. And and yes, this is David Koresh's fault. And I want to clarify, David Koresh is the villain here. He's the evil guy. But I am not disheartened by the evil of a cult leader. I'm disheartened by the evil of the people that's supposed to keep me safe. Like I don't I don't hold Koresh to the standard I hold our government to, obviously. So they get I care more about scrutinizing them than a guy who thought he was like the Lamb of God or whatever, that he was the return Christ. Duh. So but there are people out there who are like, well, it's so much so Kresh's fault that the ATF's justified in their actions because these guys were freakish uh cult people who we just had to get rid of them right if you watch news reports from the time there's people calling into news stations like i think they should just go in there and wipe them out i think they should just take them out one by 23 children the
2: the people that uh, yeah are apparently being molested and and victimize themselves and you're talking about storming in there and just got like gunning them down that's actual psychopath like (sighs) analysis
1: it's it's interesting how the how like people reacted to it too because it's it was kind of like an early you know kind of uh proof of concept of what the internet would become. People get to watch things through a screen and say whatever they want about it and it never affects them, right? There were people calling in a news station saying that they want the ATF to just blow the building up, stuff like that, which they they did. they took the advice, I guess um but like it gosh it's it's so tragic that this is still acceptable operations you know and like sure the, I, I can't think of anything as large scale as this that has happened but i mean like look at look at the news, man. there's always some story about like some raid that turned out they didn't really need to do the raid and then people died and stuff like that it just it, it really Needless. it really does break my heart yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're supposed to be we're supposed to be better than that you know yeah, we're supposed and, to yeah, mean and something your government instu-
2: institutions should be held to a high a much higher standard than a cult leader they yeah. should you yep. should be actively scrutinizing them for their mistakes because no, how are they meant no. to get better? I mean it's not it doesn't sound like they're they're taking the scrutinization to much effect, really, but still you should be able to scrutinize them for their mistakes. And I don't see how this is anything other than an enormous mistake, an enormous blunder. And I'm sure you can rationalize it in any other way. Like it, it had to happen or they were forced to or pressured to, but there has to be, there has to, with all, all the money that the ATF has, all the, all the resources that the federal government has, there had to be a better way that minimized the amount of loss that was suffered during this situation this can't be the best outcome this can't yeah this can't have been the best outcome
1: Th- there there was uh there was one interview i watched he was a lawyer who was trying to I, I don't think he was koresh's lawyer i think he was trying to get in contact with koresh to be like legal representative anyway during the siege he gets koresh's mother and he drives her out to the compound and when they get to the front the atf like waves him off or whatever to turn around and as the lawyer turned around he heard one of the atf agents say to another i hope she had a chance to say goodbye so like they they they're just gunning to kill this guy to make as much noise as they can from the get-go there there was no there's no instance of we're doing a good thing we're saving kids it's just like let's let let's be war heroes for a minute let's go in and play soldier lop yeah
2: i I mean yeah to be fair like i'm trying to like give uh, like a balanced view. It doesn't sound like we're being extremely. Yeah, please, please, please try. Right I need.
1: Yeah, I'm I definitely getting this on. So- if there's a list I'm not already on, here we go. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to put myself in the position of like an ATF soldier, let's say, <laughs> agent. Um, and if I knew that the guy in there was like this monster, this monster that mm. David Koresh was, that, where he was, i
1: get, I get wanting to kill Koresh. Yeah. Absolutely. So if they're Absolutely. like, oh, I, ho-
2: I hope she had time to say goodbye to this child molesting fucking. You know know, what?
1: That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. That guy in there's, you're right. That guy in there is a pedo. Let's, let's whack him. I'm down for that. Um,
2: do it, do it after.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just more so to me indicates that like violence was always the objective, yeah, Yeah. which again with Koresh, totally fine. But as we found out, it was not just Koresh. It was not targeted, you know, anywhere. Right. Yeah. Um. And again, all of this widespread. is David Koresh's fault. He's the one who didn't come out. He's the one who started this in the first place. He's the one that took a fourteen-year-old bride. Right. He's, he's the one all that of kind of built fault.
2: this into this cult of personality. Where exactly it, they, they they were in this position in the first place. It absolutely uh, I mean, lies at David Koresh's feet. He, th- th- he is
1: a monster. Think about this way. Think about this way. A lot of women and children left, but David Koresh had such a hold on so many people that when the ATF said you can come out if you want, so many people stayed behind because they ju- they just wanted to stay with Krish like absolutely evil evil animal and this is his fault um but it the, the level that it was reached should not be reached by people who are supposed to be the good guys yep,
2: yep 100% i think yeah it's hard it's hard to give like uh a very balanced approach here given what our beliefs are or what we are uh, the conclusions that we come to but i think it is important to really hammer home that there are no good guys here, there are no winners at the end of the day, yeah, this is yeah. an awful situation, a horrible situation that should have never happened through multiple avenues of actions taken by different individuals, something just tragic and calamitous happened, That it's just such a sad situation, so sad, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's really tragic that the amount of people that died did tragically die, so... Not a fan of David Koresh and not a fan of the actions. I think that's just uh, as best you know as we what? can sum it You know what,
1: controversial take? David Koresh, don't like him. Yeah, not a fan. Not a Not a fan. Not a fan. Yep. Man, Jackson really laying down the hot ones today.
2: <laughs> this wouldn't have happened under George Rodan. That's what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That guy who acts that member to death, that was just one kill. Let's get him back. Let's get him as a... Back in the roads, really. If we're
2: gonna trace it all the way back, this is all based. This this all went wrong as soon as Florence Huteff made that incorrect revelation. Yeah, Yeah. April. I know
1: there's. I know there's a chance that there's Davidians listening who believe in him, but you know what? That was step one of this eight step process that led to where we were at. Yeah, what a crazy like butterfly
2: effect of all the things that could have possibly gone wrong, leading to just a tragic situation. Um, but that's that's waco i hope everyone in in the yeah, audience have
1: a great day now yeah. <laughs> Real I hope, encouraging
2: i hope everyone in the audience enjoyed that analysis of the and recount of the situation <laughs> from the very beginning uh do you have any any final thoughts before we wrap this one up
1: um i, I do want to say just for the sake of my uh uh social security number and you know future job opportunities i guess i'd want to clarify Uh, I don't like David Koresh, I don't like the Branch Davidians, uh, and I also don't like the ATF, but I also, I don't, I'm not (laughs) pro-cult in this scenario, I'm anti-everyone involved. I hope all of them lose. (laughs) (laughs)
3: That's fair.
1: (laughs) They're they're both just terrible, yeah. (laughs) I think it's
2: important to be critical of everyone involved, definitely.
1: Yeah, the, the only people to me who are innocent is this is the the children. the children who were supposed to be victims accorded or at least treated that way they're supposed to be hostages right they're the only innocent people in this whole thing yeah, and they died because of equal they died because of equal evil on both sides of the engagement so yep. may, maybe not equal that's a bit harsh but definitely evil definitely evil on both sides of the engagement yeah they're,
2: they're, they're, they're true victims here at the end of the day yeah
1: yeah yeah that's oh. what sucks about it
2: But that's the Red Thread. Thank you very much for watching this episode of the Red Thread. Like I said at the beginning, you can check our sources and our documents and stuff like that in the description. And we're on Spotify, Patreon, not Patreon, Spotify, uh, iTunes, and Amazon Music and stuff like that. Links in the description so you can go listen to us on audio. Ratings really mean the world to us. Like It helps us out so much and it's so nice to see all the positive uh, ratings and comments. Uh, so really let us know what you sh- what you think of the show, rate us where you can. It really does help us out a lot, and we're really enjoying doing this. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that's that's all from me.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm having a great time. Uh, I'll be honest, the red thread some of the most fun I've had in a while just sitting down, and talking about all these crazy stories, and it means a lot for you all to watch, for you all to rate, listen, enjoy the show. Uh, and I'm sorry if it's sometimes depressing, but you know what. That's what you get. You signed up for it. What are you going to do? Leave? Stop watching? That's what I thought. So, no. But thank you all so much for watching. It means the world.
2: Yeah. And now over to you, Charlie.
1: Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool, I guess. Uh, this- <laughs> I'm just going to let it be uh, silent uh, for the end uh, of the
2: episode.
1: Uh, actually, I, uh, uh, you, you know, this guy reminds me of Batman The Dark Knight, uh, because it- <laughs>
2: Thanks for that, Charlie. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Charlie fire